This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday morning to you. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. And it's lasagna day. Mmm. I love lasagna. It's taken. Uh, it's talk in an elevator day. Instead of just standing there awkwardly looking at each other, today's the day you're going to actually look into each other's eyes and talk. Hey, do you mind if we talk a minute here in the elevator? It's also International Tiger Day. It's a big day. Plus Friday and the day after, uh, Hillary uh, Rodham Clinton has accepted the nomination for the Democratic Party as president. That's a big deal. History, folks, in the making, actually history made. Um, We will be talking about that today. Uh, Also, we've got so much to talk about. A lot of interesting stuff. We'll, of course, get into the, the news, the headlines. Also, we will be speaking with a couple of professors who are experts in the influence of a vice presidential candidate. And I wanted to talk about my one of my favorite vice presidential candidate picks, actually both of them, Mike Pence, uh, fantastic, Tim Kaine, fantastic, because they both remind me of, you know, a suburban uh, father. They remind me of myself. And around the Twitter sphere, there are a lot of people laughing with and at Tim Kaine, and I wanted to share some of the, the tweets about him. Hilarious stuff. We'll get to that as well. Lots to work on today. Um, also, in a few hours, we, we've got, we'll be talking about the movies for the weekend, so that way you know what's coming up as far as the movies are concerned. You don't want to you know, miss a movie opportunity. And we're going to talk about how to thrive as an introvert in an extroverted work area or workplace. So it's hard. If you're an introvert and you're working with a bunch of extroverts, how do you survive through all of that? We'll get to that as well. But first, my friends, let's get to the headlines. Caitlin Thomas is with us, and she's going to go through the headlines of the day. Caitlin? Thanks, Matt. During the final night of the Democratic Convention, Hillary Clinton made history when she delivered her speech accepting her party's nomination. Clinton is the first female to have ever accepted a party's nomination in U.S. history. Donald Trump on Thursday dismissed the optimistic tone the Democrats have been taking at their convention, telling an Iowa crowd that they are not talking about the real world. While Trump insisted all day Thursday he was the only candidate that truly understood the challenges facing Americans and the only one who could solve them, it seemed the Democratic convention still wasn't far from his mind. He acknowledged that Clinton was likely to enjoy a bump in the polls like he did following the GOP convention. Over a year after his death in a U.S. drone strike, the family of an Italian aid worker is finally receiving compensation from the U.S. government. Italian Giovanni Laporto was held hostage with an American aid worker at an Al-Qaeda compound in Pakistan last January. A CIA missile strike on the compound killed both civilians. Lawyers for Laporto's family told The Intercept that the U.S. had compensated them for their loss but did not disclose the figure the family received. 
A police officer was fatally shot and another seriously injured during a traffic stop in San Diego late,、um, late last night. The shooting happened at around 11 p.m. The officers, both assigned to the department's gang unit, had just pulled over a car when, almost immediately after, they called for emergency cover. One of the officers died at the hospital after suffering multiple gunshot wounds to his upper torso. The other cop was also shot in the upper torso and rushed to surgery but is expected to make a full recovery. A suspect was caught and is currently in custody. And last, Matt, a Pokemon Go player has found $2,000 in cash at a Pokestop in New Jersey. Hackettstown police say the player notified a nearby business Wednesday that he had found the money at a Pokestop where players can get free in game items. The player said he would turn the money over to police. Around the same time, the person who lost the money reported it missing near the business. An officer went there and, and the employee told the officer the money had been found. After checking surveillance video, the officer located the player who turned over the cash. So thank you, Pokemon Go. And you can't thank Pokemon Go enough. Cute, no. Cute little Pokemon. Go. Hey, thank you so much, Caitlin. Well done. And、uh, interesting, interesting night. Did you get a chance to watch the historic moment? A bit. A bit. It tends to be kind of over the top for me. Again, they make comments about her white outfit, her, jump, her white suit. Yes. It's, pan- said- it's called a pantsuit. <laughs> you need to have that terminology. It may be around for a little bit. I don't think we would normally comment on a presidential candidate's suit. No. But we do of the first female. Well, and apparently it held meaning. Yeah. Why? White? Purity? Or suffragettes. Oh, really? Did they wear what they were? Yeah.、Wrong. Interesting. Is that what it was?、Uh-huh. Cool. White was their color、yeah. when you're fighting for the right to vote. That's and, great.、Uh, so she wore white, symbolic of the suffrage movement.、Uh, great. I mean, that's cool. The more symbolism、yeah. that you can wind up into this convention, Which, the better. If you look at it that way, it's better than walking out in a gleaming white suit. Yeah. Which seems to you know, have a, a different sentiment to it. Yeah, you may not. Yeah. And even the, the minute you're using the word gleaming. Yeah. Because, I mean, she walked out, I was like, whoa, that's, that's bright. It's cool. This is, this is history in the making. And again, whatever your politics, it's history. I, have you heard what's going on? In fact, let's just, let's just take a little taste、mm. before we move on of, of Hillary、um, and, and her acceptance speech. Tonight, we've reached a milestone in our nation's march toward a more perfect union. The first time that a major party has nominated a woman for president. After all, when there are no ceilings, the sky's the limit. Standing here as my mother's daughter and my daughter's mother, I'm so happy this day has come. I'm happy for grandmothers and little girls and everyone in between. I'm happy for boys and men because when any barrier falls in America, it clears the way for everyone. And so, my friends, it is with humility. Determination and boundless confidence in America's promise that I accept your nomination for President of the United States. There you go. I mean, that, folks, there's history. That's great. Again, she, people just don't like Hillary. But if you took Hillary's, you know, Troubled past with so many people, which 
I think if you think about it and listen to her speech and then think of everything she's accomplished and done, this is a moment to at least see what's happening. America's changed. This is great. And like her or not, that's history. That's cool. Um, one thing about uh, history, too, she kind of took on Trump a bit. As most speakers did during the whole um, convention. It's – but she she just made subtle references. She used the Jackie Onassis qu- uh, comment about little men. Mm-hmm. But there's more to it too. In a way, she talks about uh, her – how she's going to uh, – how you've got to have somebody that knows how to deal with um, and, and is calm enough to handle the nuclear weapons. He loses his cool at the slightest provocation. When he's gotten a tough question from a reporter, when he's challenged in a debate, when he sees a protester at a rally, imagine, if you dare, imagine, imagine him in the Oval Office facing a real crisis. A man you can bait with a tweet is not a man we can trust with nuclear weapons. It's a great line. (laughs) A man you can bait with a tweet. By the way, yeah, Donald Trump had a Twitter storm. Oh, he did. Or he had like you know five or six, seven in a row where he just critiqued the convention. The second was it was over. Oh, I'm sure. So she baited him. Yep, and he responded. Tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> so can you? A man you can bait with a tweet is not a man we can trust with nuclear weapons. And then for all of you out there that that think she's uh, she's going to try to repeal the Second Amendment, uh, Hillary says no. I'm not here to repeal the Second Amendment. I'm not here to take away your guns. I just don't want you to be shot by someone who shouldn't have a gun in the first place. That's not going to fix anything. That's not. That's really an interesting (laughs) quote. I'm not here to take away your guns. I I just don't want you to die at the hands of somebody that shouldn't have a gun. Well, I want the right to die at the hands of somebody that shouldn't have a gun. Okay. Well, just because she brought it up means she wants to take away guns. Of course. That'll she wouldn't be, have brought it up if she didn't want your gun. That'll be how the conversation goes. Yeah. Uh, but she's not – the problem is she's not going to be tough enough on ISIS. That's the problem. I've laid out my strategy for defeating ISIS. We will strike their sanctuaries from the air and support local forces taking them out on the ground. We will surge our intelligence so we detect and prevent attacks before they happen. We will disrupt their efforts online to reach and radicalize young people in our country. It won't be easy or quick, but make no mistake, we will prevail. Donald Trump says, and this is a quote, I know more about ISIS than the generals do. No, Donald, you don't. <laughs> it's she. I think one thing she did that was really smart is she laid out a lot of ideas, a lot of strategy. Now, as much as you can lay out in a speech. Right. If but, you want more, apparently, I, I was listening to multiple different people talk this morning. Her website, full 
of documents if you want to read what her positions are, Which, what she plans. And apparently great. it's overwhelming the amount of, of things that are there. And that's what she likes to that's do. That's her but head. Her, she's a wonk. You can't present that uh-uh. on a website. And so some of the criticism against Trump of not getting into the details, yeah. some of that you just – you people zone out when you start getting into the, the, the weeds, I guess you could say, the nitty-gritty of each of your, your policies and what you want to do. That's what I noticed watching the, her speech is – what this really comes down to is what do you want? And some people do not want status quo, and she's going to bring much of the status quo, but she probably – she's – She's thought a lot of stuff out more than I think any other candidate that ran in on any side, on mm-hmm. either side. Um, she's real wonky, loves loves it. Lover or hater, she she's stable. She's more stable than Donald seems to be, who can't get through a day without making a pro Putin quote or a, some comment about how he knows more about ISIS. I mean, I had never even heard that quote. That's a that he had said that I had never heard he that he knows says that he, uh, yeah I know more about so I know more about whatever than they know yeah. about themselves but ISIS yeah he's talking about constantly that he knows more about what's going on over there than the generals do so, so he's the right guy to lead us against yeah. them it's a simple uh, to me it's a simple choice depending on what you want if what you want it's very simple if what you want is change and completely different than anybody that's ever done this before Donald. If that's what you want. That's Donald. It's clear. If you want somebody that can at least create the stability of the government that we've had, Hillary. If you want white pants suit, Hillary. Mm-hmm. If you want a suit, a Donald Trump suit from China, <laughs> Donald. <laughs> anyway, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, they both have unlikability in common. Yep. They're, oh, both, yeah. they're both leading that. They're mm-hmm. world renowned for their unlikability. Um, so you move on to the next part is who do you want? Do you want, like you're saying, the change or do you want someone who's going to kind of continue and on? Another way I figured out how to decide who you, who you want is their vice president. So if, mm. if, if, if the decision between Trump and, and Hillary, you know, whatever, they're both nuts. If you think that, then go to the next level down. Tim Kaine, Mike Pence. Now, here's what I've done. I have fallen in love this morning with Tim Kaine. Well, just because he has your sense of humor. Because he reminds me of me. It's that, you know, embarrassing dad Suburban dad. Uncle mm-hmm. sort of. And quirky. Jokes. But he, the funny thing is, is he was on CNN and they were, he, they were laughing at him and he was hysterically laughing. Mm-hmm. Because the Twitter sphere went off with um, quotes about him kind of being the dad. Tim Kaine was probably the best soccer dad was one Twitter quote. But listen to some of these. Tim Kaine absolutely scoured Consumer Reports to get the best car seat for his kid. Of course he did. <laughs> Tim Kaine was always finding quarters behind your ear when you were a little kid. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, what's that behind you there, pal? You got a little quarter there? Uh, Tim Kaine is the guy uh, – is the guy – this doesn't make sense. Tim Kaine is the guy makes really fun eye contact when he passes the piece at Mass. Oh, that's it. So when he's passing that math, passing the wafer and oh, okay. mass, yeah. he's, he's the guy that always makes eye contact with you. Oh, okay. Um, Tim Kane really wants you to have a good time at the party and would ask that you remember to use a coaster. <laughs> use a coaster. Tim Kane is your friend's dad who catches you smoking weed at a sleepover and doesn't rat you out, hmm. but talks to you about brain development. <laughs> <laughs> Look, pal, you shouldn't do that. 
because you know it's going to destroy your brain, and your brain isn't fully developed till you're 25. Tim Kaine is the dad who took the kids uh, on your dorm floor um, on one last Walmart run, but you had to listen to the Eagles while he did it. <laughs> Not cool. That's yeah. Tim Kaine. So if you don't like Hillary, then go for Tim Kaine. And if Trump's not enough, then go for Mike Pence. And then if you had to have a a Tim Kaine-Mike Pence battle, you've got the battle of two suburban dads. But will Dennis Rodman be in Donald Trump's cabinet? That's what I want to know. Absolutely. If he's there, that might be a game changer. Secretary of Education. Is Geraldo going to be there? Do you see Geraldo get accosted outside of, I think it was in Philadelphia? Yeah. Yeah. Tim Kaine will pull his, his harmonica out. What do you what do you want to hear? You know, three years into a presidency, a harmonica? Yeah, not bad, folks. That's why we're talking vice presidents today. Do the vice presidents actually influence the election? We have two professors that have been studying it in detail. They've actually written the book on it, and we will be uh, discovering what their uh, what the research tells us. The vice president advantage: how running mates influence home state voting in presidential elections. Stick with us, folks. We're talking VPs. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Presidential candidates Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump have chosen their vice presidential candidates. And now Tim Kaine and Mike Pence have arrived as as the vice presidential candidates. Vice presidential candidates have long influenced potential presidents. However, a study conducted by political science professors Kyle Kopko and Chris Devine finds that vice presidents influence and the presidential in the presidential race uh, you know, they influence them in unexpected ways. Dr. Kopko and Dr. Devine join me now by telephone to discuss their book, The Vice President Advantage, How Running Mates Influence Home State Voting in Presidential Elections. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you both for being here and uh, and helping us to discern the real impact of a vice presidential candidate. We know, we know they're important. It seemed like they, you know, the vetting process... People make a big deal. A lot of times it seems like they're hoping for some, you know, home field advantage. But uh, let's just let's let's kind of go through this um, with both of you. I guess I'll have to have uh, have you take turns speaking. But uh, Dr. Kopko, talk to us about what in your research, uh, what way in what ways do the vice presidential candidates usually influence the campaign? In a variety of ways. So it could be a, a way of reinforcing a campaign message, for example. Uh, we've also seen vice presidential candidates being used to help foster party unity. Uh, whenever it comes to actual votes, though, we tend to find that their effect is often overstated by political strategists and members of the media. Oh. We find that on average, they don't deliver a home state advantage. It's highly conditional. Really? It happens when they come from a small state and they have a great deal of political experience within that state. So think of someone like a Joe Biden or someone like an Edmund Muskie from mm-hmm. 1968 in Maine. But the twist is, you know, those states have very few electoral college votes. Right. So if you're looking to, you know, deliver the election, it's pretty unlikely to happen, uh, given our research findings. Because that, that to me, seemed like the brilliance of 
of uh, maybe not necessarily. Well, I mean, I guess Virginia would be kind of a nice little swingish state to turn. But you're saying that that's a larger state, though, population wise, that might not be one that would actually turn. That's right. Based on our research, it's probably unlikely just because you need to have a a candidate in place who's more or less a political institution within the state, Hmm. someone who's going to be able to win over the hearts and minds of those constituents and say, you know what, I'm not running for president, I'm just a vice president, but you should support this ticket. You know me, you trust me, this is going to be something that's good for the state, good for the country. And it's really hard to do that in a large, diverse state. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Tim Kaine does have a lot of political experience there, it's just based on our results too large for it to probably have any meaningful effect. Yeah. Dr. Devine, then what, um, what do they bring? What does the presidential candidate usually contribute to the president? Hopefully what they'll deliver best is once they're in office, um, you know, deliver competent service and partnership uh, in government. Uh, you know, that's not as interesting during the election season. Uh, but that's ultimately where vice presidential candidates matter. If you choose someone just to help you win an election, based on our research, you're probably not going to get what you're expecting out of them. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be disappointed by, by that, but if you get into office for other reasons, boy, you're going to be sorry if you have someone by your side who's not ready to do the job. On the other hand, if you could have a really trusted advisor, someone who can bring valuable experience, really like our last two vice presidents, whatever you think of their politics, uh, that's the role they've, they've played. They've been uh, two, probably the two uh, most powerful influential vice presidents in history, hmm. uh, Dick Cheney and Joe, and Joe Biden, and they were chosen not to win a home state, not to win a key demographic group, not for any clear electoral appeal, except to reassure voters that once I'm in office, this person is going to be actually able to help me. It's. It seems like Donald Trump, for example, um, would desperately need a strong vice president, maybe one that's been back in Congress that can, can, can move Congress. Is that, a, is that an accurate assumption, Dr. Kopko? I think so. And and throughout the campaign, Donald Trump has branded himself as this Washington outsider, and he's portrayed that in a positive manner. But he's also said he really needs someone who can help him uh, advance legislation and policy, who has that Washington insider experience. So uh, the selection of Mike Pence uh, wasn't terribly surprising to me, but I, I think it does help to uh, make up for any potential shortcomings that Donald Trump has in terms of governing uh, experience. And I think this is also a means of reaching out to some skeptics in the conservative base and saying, look, here's someone who's going to be by my side, who is a social conservative, who is an evangelical, someone who has a dozen years of experience in Congress, plus also has executive experience as governor of Indiana, someone who could do the job for me. Does um, I mean, I, we've talked about Virginia and uh, what Tim Kaine might be able to do there, hopefully maybe maybe influence the election there for the Dems. Um, but Dr. Devine, what else, what else is Tim Kaine bringing to the ticket that, um, that might kind of you know, equal that trusted advisor to, to um, Secretary Clinton? Sure. Uh, you know, he's bringing some foreign policy experience, which ironically is the major reason why he got passed over in 2008 when Barack Obama was seriously considering him. He's gone to the Senate. Uh, he, he's he's uh, set up committees where he could gain that kind of experience. Certainly not the equivalent of what Joe Biden was bringing in 2008, um, but enough for for that to be a serious credential for him. For that matter, he has a son in the Marines. I think that mm. you know gives a little perspective. Yeah. As well. But um, so he, he he brings that. He's also um, you know for a candidate in Hillary Clinton, uh, where I mean we have both candidates who are quite unpopular and 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 are, are rated um, by the majority of people as uh, untrustworthy. Uh, in this election, or, or not honest, they both have problems with that. 
chain as someone, um, and I think for the most part you could say this with, with uh, Pence, although at one point he had some ethics issues while running for office, but, um, and, and for that matter, actually, Kane uh, accepted some gifts, but anyway, there <laughs> doesn't seem to be anything too bad there. Uh, for the most part, both these guys bring uh, uh, respected character into the position. Uh, they're seen as, as people who are uh, stable in their personality and, and trustworthy and, and, and honest for the most part in a way that could help to uh, unpopular candidates. Let's put it this way. At least if they had chosen someone who doubled down on those kinds of ethical issues or, or, or you know, uh, personality issues, it might have further complicated uh, that uh, those, those issues for both presidential candidates. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Like uh, maybe if um, if Chris Christie had been brought in as vice president with Donald Trump, that really would have complicated the trust issue, maybe. Yeah, and especially it would have complicated going after Hillary Clinton for ethics issues. Oh, that's I mean, true. It's not huh? crystal clear, you know, in either case what what was going on. Obviously, you have two sides to those issues, but you know, it seems like there were some problems in in, in both those matters. And uh, Chris Christie, as much as he was trying to uh, truly go through a prosecution scenario in uh, at the convention, uh, I think his his ability to do that would have been very complicated by his own uh, issues. Mm. Um, talk about your book, Doctor Kopko. Together, you wrote and researched the book, The Vice President or the VP Advantage. What uh, I know, you did a lot of empirical research and data. What are some of the findings? Um, you've already mentioned the fact that the home state advantage is maybe more of a myth than a reality when it comes to the vice president. Anything else come out of the research that uh, that might be interesting or shocking to us? Sure. Uh, we even examined campaign visits to see if uh, campaigns actually believed in the home state advantage. And by and large, we find evidence that campaigns do, in fact, believe that this exists. Uh, hmm. And we do a case study of 2012 uh, for Wisconsin. We find that a disproportionate amount of time and money was spent by both the Romney campaign and the Obama campaign in Wisconsin, uh, when, in fact, it really wasn't as competitive of a state relative to the amount of time and money that was spent there. They really seem to think that Paul Ryan was going to deliver something that election year, and it just didn't materialize. And then we also examine probably the most famous example of a home state advantage, Lyndon Johnson in 1960. And whenever we dig into the survey data, we have individual level data from actual voters from 1960. Oh, wow. We find that there's just no evidence to support this. In fact, the closer and closer one gets to Texas, looking at the North versus the South versus Texas, the less popular LBJ is in the data. And it kind of makes sense because in, in some parts of the South, LBJ was really viewed as a turncoat on issues of civil rights, uh, particularly for his work on the 57 Civil Rights huh. Act. Uh, and internal campaign polls, believe it or not, from the uh, uh, Kennedy-Johnson campaign even bear out that John Kennedy was in some ways just as popular, if not more popular, than LBJ in Texas and Louisiana. So. We don't really find any solid evidence to support the claim that LBJ delivered Texas or the South that year. Is has there? I mean, that's interesting because you would think we would think that um, LBJ could could deliver the South, kind of like you think um, uh, that President Clinton obviously could have could deliver the South because he was from Arkansas. But you're saying with the vice presidential pick, it doesn't necessarily deliver. Uh, a location, a geography, or necessarily a home state, How, would it would it be different if it's a female candidate? 
Uh, based on our analysis, probably not. We didn't do this in the book, but we did a separate analysis for uh, the Washington Post uh, on demographic appeals of vice presidential running mates. So we only had two female vice presidential candidates to date uh, for the major parties, Geraldine Ferraro in 84 and Sarah Palin in 2008. And when we dig into the survey data, we find that women were no more or less likely to vote for that ticket huh. with having a female running mate on on the ticket uh, after controlling for all the relevant demographic variables and party ID and all that fun stuff. Wow. So it doesn't make as much of a difference. Presidential that, candidates, on the other hand, yeah. they are the ones that motivate vote choice. So their their evaluations are about three times more powerful than vice presidential candidate evaluations. Unbelievable. I mean, I thought it is you're blowing up a myth here. This is because everyone was talking about in this vice presidential selection process, you know, you may as well go for Kasich because he'll bring you Ohio. He'll deliver Ohio. But Ohio is a complicated state. Right. And it's diverse and big. And um, but you're saying that uh, that's not necessarily the case. Interesting. Let's take a break, gentlemen. We'll come back. And uh, I've got a I've got I need uh, Dr. Devine to 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 give us some more information about past candidates. I, w- I want to know who were some of the more popular um, uh, and, and powerful vice presidents of through history, if, if you can give me some of that as well. We'll take a break. Again, we're speaking with doctors uh, Kyle Kopko and Christopher Devine, the authors of the book, The Vice President Advantage, The VP Advantage, How Running Mates Influence Home State Voting in Presidential Elections. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. What really is the advantage of a vice presidential candidate? I mean, many times they just seem like they sit there and smile at the uh, State of the Union address. But it doesn't, sometimes you're wondering what's really the advantage, but when it comes to the candidate, there's a lot of myths apparently around, um, around having a vice presidential pick. And joining us today are two authors and researchers from um, that wrote the book, The Vice President Advantage, or The VP Advantage, How Running Mates Influence Home State Voting in Presidential Elections. And their names, of course, are uh, Dr. Kopko, Dr. Devine. They are professors. Um, Dr. Kyle Kopko is an assistant dean for academic achievement and engagement as, at Elizabethtown College. Um, also Associate Professor of Political Science. Dr. Chris Devine is Assistant Professor of Political Science at Mount Vernon Nazarene University, and they've co-authored this book. Uh, welcome back, gentlemen. Thank you so much for helping us with this. Thank you. And walking, us, us. walking us through all of this. Now, uh, Dr. Devine, I got, a, I got a crazy question for you, because it yeah. seems like the people that needed your advice, it was, it was the Ted Cruz campaign. Because he jumped on Carly Fiorina, he brought her in as a vice presidential candidate, seemingly when his when his candidacy was waning in the primaries. But I think he, I guess he thought he would deliver maybe women, uh, maybe he would deliver um, California. It seems that he didn't quite understand the impact of choosing a vice presidential candidate. Is, is that what went down? 
it, it was a desperation move. It was something that I don't think the campaign uh, ultimately wanted to do, uh, but it was the only choice they felt like they had left. Uh, perhaps they thought they could consolidate um, some support from the anti-Trump movement uh, and and give this sense that not only what, uh, was there were there multiple candidates who were against Trump, but maybe they were trying to create the impression that Cruz is truly presidential and could be seen as a credible alternative to Trump. Uh, I also think uh, in, in that case, you know, Kyle was talking before about one of the things, the, the marginal things that, that running mates in an election really can do. Uh, they can help to double down on a message. Hmm. Politics is really a form of marketing, it's branding. Right. And just like, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton's trying to stay stronger together and, and Donald Trump's trying to say, make America great again, uh, sometimes a, a running mate can help to reinforce that message. And part of what uh, Ted Cruz is trying to say was, I'm an outsider. I'm not of Washington. I'm going to try and do things differently. We're actually going to get results, just like you'd see in the private sector as opposed to the public sector. Well, Carly Fiorina fits all of those things. She had no political experience. She was a businesswoman. Uh, she could claim uh, results in the, in the private sector. So I think he's probably going for, for uh, those things. Was he also hoping for a boost from women? I think that's quite possible, especially given the dynamic of uh, you know Donald Trump's troubles with, with women, or at least in the controversies uh, surrounding that. So he may have been hoping for that. Uh, but you know, hopefully, uh, he'll he'll uh, read our research and, and uh, be be enlightened. <laughs> I think all of the parties, I mean, all of these consultants that are getting paid big bucks to to get out there and direct a campaign, they they need they should be reading the research because this is this is good learning. Then you don't have to waste as much time in a state that might not deliver otherwise. Talk. And even speaking of what, what, what Kyle was saying before about the, the campaign visits, um, you know, we see this, we, we track this, uh, that the campaigns believe in the home state advantage. First of all, we see that the media believe in the home state mm-hmm. We actually do uh, some analysis of media coverage in the past, and about half the time they talk about a potential vice presidential selection, they mention the home state or the home region. So we see that in the media. Yeah. But even from the presidential candidates, uh, we find, for instance, when you look at the people who make the VP shortlist, disproportionately they come from more competitive states. And then as Kyle's referencing also, once you get into the campaign, like he was talking about Wisconsin, both campaigns combined visited Wisconsin once. Mitt Romney did once before Paul Ryan's selection on August 11th in mm-hmm. 2012. After that, they had, I think it was a total of 43 visits. Holy jumped way up. The, ab- the advertising jumped up 400%. They were wasting some of their resources. Not that they couldn't win Wisconsin, right. but they treated it as the fifth most competitive state. It was really more like the tenth most competitive state. Yeah, and then disproportionately, you know, bet on it. Yeah. Wow. Um, Dr. Kopko, talk to us about uh, the, the idea of using a candidate or vice presidential selection to unify the party. It seems like all we talked about in these um, the, the last two weeks is the fact that both of these, the GOP and the DNC, need to unify. Does it work to bring on a candidate as the unifier. It doesn't always work, and it, it can sometimes be a, a double-edged sword. So e- even when viewing the Tim Kaine selection, the Clinton campaign tried to frame him as uh, a really solid progressive. They were trying to reach out to the Bernie Sanders supporters uh, for the purposes of unification. Will that work? Well, there's still been some uh, disagreements with Bernie supporters. Some of them still walked out. But even if you look at past elections, one of the greatest examples is the 1976 Republican uh, convention. Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan uh, were in a very spirited campaign. It was the last time there was a contention contested convention. And Ronald Reagan, leading into the convention, named Richard Schweiker of Pennsylvania, Senator of Pennsylvania, who was a pretty moderate to liberal Republican, as his running mate. 
and it actually infuriated uh, Senator Jesse Helms uh, and some other conservatives. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it, it didn't help to unify the party in that regard. Yeah. Then you have someone like Sarah Palin in 2008, uh, where there is some empirical evidence in the political science research that she did help to mobilize or energize uh, the conservative base. But at the same time, there's also research out there that suggests that she could have cost upwards of 2.1 million votes among swing voters because she was viewed as being more extreme Holy uh, among that demographic. So it, it, it's kind of a complicated issue. You could help to unify the party. You could help to shore up the base, but there could also be opportunity costs for doing so. Well, but we don't overlook, <laughs> don't overlook, Dr. Kopko, the benefit that Sarah Palin gave to NBC's um, Saturday Night Live. Yes, she made true. them lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> they've, had, they've, they've had a good run because of her. They have, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, talk to us, uh, Dr. Devine, about some past um, vice presidential uh, you know, uh, partners in, pres- in the presidency. Who, who in the past uh, – uh, Dr. Kopko mentioned earlier the last two vice presidents have been very powerful. In the past, who have been other influential vice presidents? You know, it's funny, you're just talking about Sarah Palin and the effect that, that she had, and, and tying into your question here, what strikes me is that she was so visible in that campaign. Yeah. She was a, um, I mean, vice presidential candidates are always visible in a campaign, but not nearly as much as the presidential candidates. And I think one reason why we're still talking about Sarah Palin's candidacy eight years later is that she was an exception to that rule. Well, this translates to off, uh, being in office, that the vice president, although quite visible, very prominent uh, member of na- national government, is not nearly on the scale of the president. And so, you know, it's hard to talk about candidates, or excuse me, vice presidents who were uh, particularly uh, popular or, or attracted a lot of attention because there just aren't right. people, uh, a lot of them, at least, at least in comparison. But we see really since, uh, and this built off some work by another um, uh, law professor, Joel Goldstein, who recently uh, had, had a book uh, kind of tracing this out, and uh, really documents that the vice president's power really uh, grew, started to grow under Walter Mondale, uh, under Jimmy Carter. And really since that time, almost uh, step-by-step with every vice president, you see increasing power. What's interesting about that is that their formal duties have never changed. They still, under the Constitution, are responsible for nearly nothing. They're they're on call in case the president dies or resigns or, or something like that. They break ties in the Senate, which almost never happens, and their other constitutional duty is to open the envelopes when they come in from the states from the Electoral College <laughs> and certify who won the election. They don't do a whole lot. They basically yeah. be able to count and, and <laughs> cast votes that never come. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to talk about who's uh, really powerful <laughs> in, in that sense because that's been static. Where they're powerful is when the president gives them more power, uh, informal duties. For instance, like uh, Barack Obama telling Joe Biden, hey, we need to get a budget deal done with Congress. You go lead the negotiation. Yeah. So it's really delegated. I guess it would have to be delegated power. And and talk. Tell me, uh, Doctor Devine, about that. Is that is is it still the fastest, best, easiest route to the presidency? Is through the vice presidency? It, it probably is, and this is so ironic historically because you know we think that it's always been the case that the vice president was next in line for the presidency. Actually, 1836, uh, Martin Van Buren went from being Andrew Johnson's vice president. Uh, one-term vice president, he took over Johnson Jackson's second term, and then he ran for the presidency in 1836 and won, then he lost for election in 1840. After that, the next vice pre- sitting vice president to then be elected 
was George H.W. Bush in 1988, 150 years in between where no one succeeded directly from the vice presidency to the presidency. Hmm. Even being nominated uh, directly to that position, we have to wait for, for Van Buren until, um, until Richard Nixon in 1960. Uh, and then, of course, if you were Humphrey doing it and, and so on. So it became a stepping stone, but that's actually a pretty recent phenomenon of about the last half century. And I think that is something that's also contributed to the power of the vice presidency, because these days, well, actually, ironically, uh, Biden and Cheney have been exceptions, but it had been the case for a while that presidents were looking to their vice presidents as the people who would carry on the legacy by hopefully getting elected the next time around and hopefully building on the policies of that president's administration. Yeah, you, you almost saw that when President Obama spoke that he was just setting up his legacy, like, here we go, keep this party going. Uh, as we wrap it up, um, Dr. Kopko, help us just understand, in the end, um, this is a weird election this this year, and I, I, I would love just your insight as one who's who's been researching presidents and vice presidents. Anything that we should be just paying attention to in and and maybe feeling more secure about candidates at the presidency level that we worry about, should the vice presidents make us feel any more secure? Well, I, I think they should enter into the decision calculus at some level. Uh, it's it's kind of an adage now to say that the selection of a vice president is really the first presidential action by a candidate. Mm. They're sending a message to voters. They're saying, this is who is going to succeed me in the event of an unforeseen circumstance. And another thing to keep in mind is both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump have historically high unfavorable ratings. We've never seen so unpopular <laughs> major party candidates. Right. In, in the modern era. Uh, so what the vice presidential candidates say and do will reflect upon the vice uh, upon the presidential candidates. How much uh, it's going to matter somewhat at the margins, but given how unliked uh, both presidential candidates are, it could matter to some degree. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. Yeah, no, great. Well, we appreciate both of you and your great work on uh, your book, Drs. Kyle uh, Kopko and Christopher Devine. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. You bet. And go go find the book, The Vice President Advantage, The VP Advantage, How Running Mates Influence Home State Voting in Presidential Elections. We'll take a break, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we'll be playing a little uh, trivia about Hillary Clinton. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, have we got a, a moment for you. A few Last week we did a little uh, Donald Trump trivia. So Sadie Nielsen has put together a little Hillary Clinton trivia so we can understand and know more about our potential future president. But uh, we got to make it a game, so let's play the game music. Disclaimer, this one is a little bit harder than the last one, so okay. good luck. Okay. Uh, the okay. last one you tricked me because I thought the questions were harder, so this up anyway. Okay. Work out fine. Good luck. Okay. Yeah. You just have to answer true or false. Okay. 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 Hillary Clinton was raised in Little Rock, Arkansas, along with her two false. younger brothers, Hugh Jr. and Anthony. False, false. Both false. false? Yes. The first one is false. She was not raised in Little Rock, Arkansas. She was raised in Illinois. Yes. By her mother. Yes, that is correct. Yes. Ah, good job. This is so fun. Okay, this is a this is a good one. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. As a young woman, Hillary was active in young Democrat groups. False. 
Her mother was a Republican. That is true. Um, she was active in young Republican groups uh, uh, and uh, campaigned uh, for uh, presidential nominee Barry Goldwater in 1964. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what she did. Um, after hearing a speech by Robert F. Kennedy in 1968, Clinton was inspired to become a Democrat. Sure. I'll believe that. Yes. Oh. It was a speech by Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, yes. I did know that, too. Uh, that one was tricky. Okay, I made that, that was one tricky. really tricky. That was really tricky. All right. Next one. Hillary met Bill Clinton while attending school at Yale Law. Yes. Roger that. True. Yes. Absolutely. absolutely. And the next one. Both Hillary and Bill Clinton are Methodists. Yes. That's true. She's a Methodist. She is a Methodist. Bill is a Southern Baptist. You're so close. You're playing trickery with this. I, I thought we were talking about Hillary, not Bill. But anyway, they kind of come as a package. They sure do. So you got to put them together. Yeah. Okay, next one. When Hillary Clinton was elected to the U.S. Senate in 2001, she became the first American first lady to ever win a public office seat. False. It's true. Is that true? It's true. Is it really? Look it up. I Eleanor it. Roosevelt didn't have an office. <laughs> she ran for an office. According to uh, the fact sheet that I maybe had, not, maybe that was, not. Uh, okay. it was true. Okay. Uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton are the first and only first couple to be fingerprinted by the FBI. The first and only? No. False. Is that true? It is true. <laughs> why? Why, were just, why just them? I don't know. They well, didn't provide I, details on I, that? Well, I think I understand. <laughs> but uh, that is the They've truth. They've both been investigated by the FBI. Yes. So they, uh, they both need their fingerprints. Oh, that's embarrassing. So, okay, uh, we only got time for one more. Okay, this is the last one we have. Okay. Um, Hillary Clinton won a Golden Globe Award for her work as a consultant on the TV show The West Wing. No way. That's yeah, false. Good. But she actually did win a Grammy Award um, for, oh, for her, her, book. her book, It Takes a Village. Wow. So, Come on. There you go. Wow, Sadie. See, that was easy. And we just learned a lot about Hillary. Uh-huh. See how that works. We'll take a break, folks. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show's It's in the books. We'll come back. we got more fun for you. Stick with us. It's the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two of the program. Happy Lasagna Day. Mmm. Another angel got a plate of lasagna. I'm telling you, it couldn't be a better day than Lasagna Day. It's also Talk in an Elevator Day. So we're going to do the entire show with elevator music. Could be annoying, but you know what? It's Friday. Sue me! A, a sample elevator conversation this morning. Yeah? Hey, did you see the speech last night? What a speech. Oh, it was great. Holy cow, that... That presidential candidate's incredible. And then they dropped all those balloons. How do they get them up there? How'd they get... Th- and the fireworks. And did you see her face when those fireworks went off? She was startled. It's amazing. Yeah, that's the kind of and stuff you hear in an yeah. Okay. Talking an elevator day. Just warms your heart. I like standing there awkwardly just ignoring everyone. Yeah. Bing. 
I, you know what I like to do? And it, it weirds a few people out. But I like to just turn toward the person, whoever's in the elevator with me, and I just look at him. I just look at him, and, and it sounds like this in the elevator. Maybe turn on the music. And I like to just look at him. That's creepy. And then I say, top of the morning to you. End scene. That's what I like to do. Happy Elevator Day. Talk in an Elevator Day. We've got a great show for you today. Holy cow. If you are an introvert, one who verts inwardly, which is actually... When you think of introvert versus extrovert, it means you get your energy going inside. Extroverts get their energy going outside of them. They go like going to people to get energy. Introverts like kind of going by themselves to get their energy. We're going to be talking about an article in Huffington Post, How I Thrived as an Introvert in an Extroverted Work Environment. It's a big deal. If you have a lot of people around you that are extroverted and you don't, you don't feel like you're an extrovert, you're an introvert – We're going to give you some tools to make it through the day and your life. Uh, It's going to be a lifesaver. So stick with us on that. We will get to that along with – we're going to be talking etiquette later in in this hour. uh, Leanna Tan, one of our producers, has put together a piece about some things – the history of etiquette and, and why we do what we do. Why do we say God bless you, for example? We'll get into all of that. But first, let's get to the headlines. Uh, Caitlin Thomas, what's going on? Thanks, Matt. Chelsea Clinton took the stage last night, the final night of the Democratic Convention, to call on America Americans to elect Hillary Clinton. In her speech, Chelsea reflected on Hillary as a mother and an advocate for children. Quote, she says, people ask me all the time, how does she do it? How does she keep going amid the sound and the fury of politics? Here's how. Because she never, ever forgets who she's fighting for. That's who my mom is. She's a listener and she's a doer driven by a fierce sense of justice and a heart full of love. And now that the Democratic National Convention has wrapped up, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump will now sit down for their classified intelligence briefings. While considered a traditional part of presidential campaigns since 1952, concerns have been raised from both sides of the aisle about classified information getting passed around in what certainly marks a less-than-traditional election year. And one former intelligence official pointed out the briefings are as good an opportunity for the candidates to assess the intelligence community as it is for the intelligence community to assess the candidates. The U.S. may have just joined the other 67 countries and territories worldwide where mosquitoes are spreading the Zika virus. Up until now, all 1,600 cases, Zika cases in the U.S. were people who either traveled elsewhere to contract it or had um, relations with someone who had it as well. So, But on Wednesday, the Florida Health Department announced four cases in Florida in which officials have ruled out both um, have ruled out the traveling factor. So that means it's possible mosquitoes in Miami-Dade and Broward counties are spreading the virus. Scientists exploring the seafloor around California's Channel Islands have made an incredible discovery, Matt. You'll like this one. They just aren't exactly sure what they've discovered. While studying deep sea coral via a remotely operated vehicle, scientists noted a, quote, dark purple blob with a pink center on the ocean floor earlier this month. They were um, stumped by what they saw. Indeed, they can be heard contemplating the mysterious um, creature in the comical video of the discovery. In the video, you can hear them saying, quote, we have like a dark purple blob on the left. I have no idea what this is, adds a colleague. Somebody called it a blobus purplus. Um, before others guessed what it could be, but scientists are saying this could be a new found octopus. It's a salop, Pokemon. T- turning it, 
<laughs> or an egg sack of some sort. Or maybe it's a Pokemon. Pokemon Go is now becoming real life. What's it called? There's a purple Pokemon. Purplus Blobulus. You know what? No, Ben had a Ben had a Blobus Purplus once. Do you remember that, Ben? Yeah, that was that was more you. of a growth. Well, yeah, me. but I think I'm pretty sure he called it a Blobus Purplus. Yeah, remember that? And then we just all you had to do is rub that salve on it. Yeah, it was it, the ointment kind of burned. It was yeah. it was really uncomfortable. It's called a Venonat. It's on Pokemon. It's a little purple bug-looking thing. That's Alert what they found. Nerd. Hold on. We were talking about Ben's Blobus Purplus, and then you went all Pokemon on us. Yeah. Well, that's what they found. It's a purple blob on the bottom of the ocean. <sighs> In Pokemon, they're called Venonats. It's a round purple thing. Nerd! Yeah. Hey, I have 33 Venonat candies, if you know what that means. Huh. Wow. Moving on. I wish you would. <laughs> That you don't. You just keep going right back to Pokemon. I thought you gave it up. I, I saw my phone. I don't actually do anything with it. No. When we just started talking about Blobus Purplus, you couldn't have gotten to your fa- your phone faster. Well, he can quit anytime he wants. Yeah. That's the sign of an addiction. No, it isn't. You're neglecting other things that are important. I haven't played it in days. You haven't? No. Except right then, you just started just, talking about a Venom. I app. just opened it to show you this is what they found on the bottom of the ocean. We were talking about why is there so much accusations going injury on? on Ben's arm? Yeah, a well, blobus purplus and got the salve we had was, to put on it. It was a growth, not an injury. He got yeah, it lanced. Sure. And he's fine. By the way, do you remember that was the day you decided I'm going to start making ice cream <laughs> when I have a growth? <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I needed something to comfort me. The fun um, thing about Ben's ice cream company. Uh, we make fun of it mm. like it's nothing. It's no big deal. Sure. But I have it on good – I have some good data because I, I send out one of my spies mm. and she went to a party where she consumed some of his ice cream and she said – these were her words. Not that gross. Well, there's an endorsement for you. So there you have it. Not that gross. Raven ice cream. Not that gross. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go look up uh, – what's the, what's the website, Ben? Ravenicecream.com. Ravenicecream.com, and you'll learn all about Ben. So, our trucker friends out there that you need, you know, you need something to do at night when you got to have your mandatory sleep time. Members of Truckers for Ben. Members of Truckers for Ben, and uh, his also Ben's um, that the group that Ben goes to every Thursday night. Blobus Purplus are united. Mm. That uh, gotta have support groups. Anybody in the support group there, fellow Blobites. Um, <laughs> Uh, go to ravenicecream.com and and just enjoy. That was a great endorsement. Not that gross. No. Raven ice cream, not that gross. <laughs> Ben's going to make a living out of this. He's trying. In a couple, in, he's, we've only got a little more time with him, a few more weeks or so, and I'm going to, I, I'm going to eventually give him a really good testimonial. I know. I, I see you warming up to it. I haven't. It's just I haven't tasted any of your ice cream for well over six months. Yeah. Hopefully, it's improved since the last time. Yeah, I hear it's not that bad. Not that gross. Kind of had a thank you, Ben. Tub cleanser sort of taste before, but you know maybe it's improved. Tub cleanser. Yeah, it's a lot better now. Um, hey, there's a story. You know how sometimes the you know people in New York get a reputation for being kind of angry. I have heard this. But I don't think they're angry mm. always. It's just 
the people just try to irritate him. So New York Police Department uh, announced that they had arrested a man. They nabbed the culprit who outfitted a van with more than 50 speakers mm. and blasted loud music late at night near the New York Mets Stadium. Of course. Police received multiple noise complaints Saturday night in Queens neighborhood and found a man in the van, and they confiscated the van. Authorities say the van's owner, Nelson Hidalgo, had been arrested on charges of criminal nuisance. Listen to these charges. These, like, these sound like they're made up. Criminal mm-hmm. nuisance, unreasonable noise, okay. unlawful assembly, and other offenses. Mm. But we investigated it, and we found out that it's, he wasn't arrested for all the noise. It wasn't that he had 50 speakers blasting that was the problem. It's the song he was playing. Oh. Here's some audio. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got it. It was loud, though. Yeah, it's pretty loud. It's pretty loud. I can see. Oh, there they come. The come. Police. There they come. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't play Barry that loud at night. Oh, jeez. Wow. And, oh, and then that's where they tased him. That is pretty loud. I can see where the noise ordinance might be a question. Yeah. But if you're playing a song people like, yeah. Yeah, like you might uh, be okay. Yeah. Uh, you play uh, a little Frank Sinatra, New York, New York. Yeah, that's they're not. No one's going to care. No. But you that's throw like, out Mandy. The, yeah. The theme song of the city is fine. Yeah. But, and no ugh. offense to people that love Barry Manilow. Who Just doesn't? play really? it at a low volume. Yeah, that's just not one you put on a 50-speaker van. That's more of a personal use song rather than a exactly. you know, crowd-cheering right. anthem, mm-hmm. if you will. And I don't know if it was going on during a Mets game, but nothing would yeah. make you lose your you know, your mojo. I don't know the mm. word. Mojo is probably not the right word. Yeah. That would make you lose your – it would put you in a slump more than the Mandy song. What, what you really got to do is find a song that relaxes – just relaxes everybody. Yeah. Elevator music. Talk in an elevator day. Happy elevator music day. That's great. Sure is hot outside. Yeah, it's hot. Nice day, though. Nice day. Beautiful, beautiful sun. Yeah. Never seen the sun more beautiful. Got that staff meeting later today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I have donuts. <laughs> Does this look swollen to you? My doctor says it's a it's a blopus purplus. Wow, is this elevator slow? I think the elevator music stopped. Oh. Are we stuck? Hey, we have, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, extroversion, introversion. You're Very dealing true. with a show, by the way, that I'm pretty sure we're all just introverts. Could be. Because the minute we're off the air, no one talks to each other. Mm. Well, it might be the distance across the office. The Yeah, that was weird. The setup of the office. It's well, one of these. Matt like, goes on his walk about after he the does. show. He does. He immediately day. leaves the building for an hour. Yeah. He can't just wait maybe a half hour so that if we have any business, we can take care of it. No, he's out the door. Gone. I can't. If I, if I, the difference between that, that half hour is about 10 degrees of heat. Oh, it is. It gets pretty hot later in the and day. And if I, I found if I don't go on my walk, then I pretty much can't stand any of you. Well, as you're walking today, yeah. keep in mind, this could be the end of the world. <laughs> There's a group who has prophesied. In a way. Really? Oh, hold on. Like a religious group is saying this is the end of the world? There's religious messages involved. Okay. I mean, end of the world type conversation. Yeah. People a lot of people like, going uh, revelations. So it's from the Armageddon News Network, broadcast on the End Times Prophecies YouTube channel. Okay. 
So if you want to search that okay. out. They're saying that the Bible predicts how a polar shift will trigger world, worldwide tremors and reduce countries to rubble. And they say that today is the day that's going to happen. Oh, today's the day that the polar uh, – the polar – It's called a polar flip. Yeah. It will be responsible for the destruction of the planet as we know. The polar shift is a real a geomagnetic phenomenon where the invisible magnetic north pole moves slowly upwards causing the movement – or caused by the movement of molten iron within the Earth's core. Wow. Yeah. So scientists calculate the world goes through this geomagnetic reversal around every seven – Not a lot. 780,000 780, years. So Is this what killed – I don't know. Rock and roll. So 780,000 years this happens. Yeah. But NASA says you're probably not going to feel it. It just sort of happens. But it's what they're flip of This polar flip. shift uses the magnetic poles to move uh, move slowly over thousands of years and since records began the poles so far shifted more than 600 miles. Wow. So you've heard of true north. Yeah, yeah. There's north and then there's true north. There's tr- and then eventually there will be true, true north. The video claims that this shift will happen suddenly today, cause a global megaquake. Wow. The, the, they're saying that uh, today, since the 20th century started, the speed of the shift has increased 40 miles a year. NASA announced it will speed up further from July 14th through August 19th, which appears to be the basis of the prediction that today's the day. Okay, I just got a question. Yeah. Um, is this going to affect my phone at all? It could. There is magnetism involved. Because I just rebooted and, and upgraded my phone. Yeah, so did I. I did it yesterday. So I really don't want any problems today. <laughs> it could happen. Global megaquake. Also, the flip. Yeah, the, with dis- the polar flip. To be the, the forces involved mm-hmm. and, you know, because of the polar flip and the water and the oceans and yeah. just cause crazy destruction across the globe. Now. Are or you sure? it'd just be a normal Friday. Your pick. Well, are you sure that the end of the world's coming because of the polar flip? Wouldn't it make more sense uh, to just blame it on Trump? No. They're blaming it on a catastrophe. Does the flip have anything to do with Trump? No. Do, will the flip do anything to Trump's hair? Uh, no, because he uses a lot of product. Will have you sec- seen the picture of his mother that's floating around the internet? No. We'll have to look that up. Will Secretary Clinton's emails fall out of somewhere because of the flip? It's in somebody's pocket, and when it flips upside down, they will fall out, and we will know where they are. Wow. Or the Russians may know where they are. I'm not sure. So all of this could happen, or it could just be a regular Friday. Yeah, regular Friday. Take whichever way you want to go. Either way, I'm taking my walk. There you go. In an hour and a half. Unless it's too hot. Mmm! crazy world folks hey if you are an introvert stick with us and if you're an extrovert wondering why the introverts want to get out of here all the time we're going to be talking with uh, an expert that's going to tell us how to handle extroverted people if you're an introvert if you just like being alone how to still make it in a world full of introverts interesting topic stick with us we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you know, I've talked about it a lot on the show, the difference between introvert and extrovert. I personally, many would think I'm an extrovert, uh, but I'm not. I feel like I'm more of an introvert. I love to be alone. 
and I actually get energy, I get ideas, I get creativity, a lot of it when I'm alone. I, I do enjoy people. I'm not antisocial. I don't hate people. I don't think most introverts do. It's just we, we have, we're different. So, you know, if you or a loved one is an introvert, listen up. If you are the introvert, listen up. Um, we're going to be talking about about introversion and how we learn to deal in a world that tends to be fairly extroverted. Whether it's your church, whether it's your um, your workplace, going to school, a, a lot of times we demand extroversion, right? We demand people to interact. In fact, school teachers and in, in your little you know your little meetings with them as a parent. Yeah, your child needs to interact more with kids. They don't. They don't talk as much as they need to talk. I get it. I get it. So we we've uh, we found a wonderful article, and we wanted to address how I thrived as an introvert in an extroverted work environment. It's uh, here to discuss her article. Is an extroverted work uh, is Anne, is Anne Davis, and Anne um, wrote the the article. She's uh, she's an author. She's the founder of Boost Your Skills, Boost Your Income blog, and she's here to help us understand this topic. Anne, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, I appreciate you so much. I'm happy to be here too. Great to have you. Talk about are you yourself, Anne? Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'm actually an introvert, but if you met me today, I don't think you'd know if I'm one or not. Yeah, right. Because you know, society kind of expects us to be all extroverts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we live. In fact, um, in the book Quiet, they talked about the studies that were done at Harvard. Even the way that they were bringing people into the Harvard School of Business was basically the whole thing was identifying extroverts. And the reality is not every extrovert would be a good business person and not every introvert would be a good business person. We need to find a way to, to, to deal with both people, which is what your article addresses. Talk to us about what, uh, what are some ways, if you are an introvert, you know, what are the, some of the things that you face as you go into the workplace? Well, most of the things that introverts face is because they do things the parents requires them to do. Like say when they graduate from high school, they go to careers which they really don't care for, but because the family pressure or the society and different types of jobs, they go into those choices. Well, what happens is when they graduate and they go to work, it becomes very demanding for them. And at the end of the day, they feel like they've been just in a marathon or some kind of work that isn't really for them and they hate the job. It's not a job that's bad. It's the environment or how they are expecting to perform. So the most important thing is they identify what they should be, they can do. And whichever job they're in, they should be able to set boundaries, be able to accept who they are and say, well, I'm an introvert, and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. You don't have to hang out with people, you know, all the time. You can have your me time set aside. Two minutes, five minutes is enough. Don't be ashamed to walk out to a meeting and go to the restroom for those two minutes and go back to whatever you're doing. It's because they try to fit in and 
that makes them exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah, you, you, it seems like as an introvert, it would be easier for you to just maybe disconnect. And, um, but, but what I'm seeing and I've seen in my own life and I see in your article being reinforced is you need to go out and, and kind of grab the opportunities. You need to be saying, this is the, like, you know, when they're, when they're assigning work or they're, they're doing certain things, there might be time that you need to go have your breaks, but there's other times you can go grab an activity, you can go grab a, um, a you know, a, a responsibility that they need done, and you can still go take advantage of it and do it your way. You can find a way to do it on your time frame in your way. Isn't that right? Oh, that's true. Let's say, you know, you have, uh, remember when I was a teacher, we used to have many activities, after-school activities. I would have been crazy to go for dancing activities, you know? So I always made sure I grabbed the ones I knew. I'll still be content and I'll be happy and I'll help the kids. And those were things like the painting, the drawing, and the writing. Mm. Same with the introverts. Why you need to volunteer or do what that suits your needs? Mm-hmm. You need to know yourself. It's It sounds like... Go ahead, Anne. I mean, you go for things that make you feel awkward, then yeah. you're just going to hate your job. And oh, yeah. people be like, what's going on there? So always try to grab, a, you know, grab things that always benefit you. That's, I guess, the point, too, is you've, you've got to know you. You've got to know yourself. You've got to know what you are into what works for you. Otherwise, you could get sucked into thinking. I remember thinking, I, I, I need to be a salesman because the salesman um, is the one that makes all the money or whatever. But then I went and tried sales and I didn't like it. Um, and there were certain things that I knew I was good at and I knew how I needed to do them and it, and it worked really well for me. But you do need to know yourself. Another thing you bring up in your article is the importance of scheduling your needs and, and finding a routine and sticking to your routine. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, let's say, I mean, one thing I've realized, the mornings are my time to just, if I wake up to a core and noisy environment, my entire day is ruined. I like the quiet time, you know, get out of bed, what well, is five minutes, you know, kids are in bed, make sure you wake up a little earlier than they do. And that quiet time of five minutes will give you the energy to be able to deal with things most of the morning. And I realize when on your, when you wake up to a chaotic or noisy environment, your day is just going to be entirely noisy because your job may not give you that chance of being quiet. So always make sure you have that me time. You either wake up early or you plan it before you go to bed. But mine always wakes up when I wake up early. Or sometimes I'll take naps too. Naps works for me. Yeah. It used to work when I, when I was in a teaching, I'll get home, take a nap before I go out to do anything. You know, I, I think that's like that. The anticipation, the planning, the preparation, it puts so much more of it in our own hands. It, it lets us have this feeling like 
man, I think I, I can actually prepare more. And if I've prepared more, if I'm more uh, if I'm more ready to handle the day instead of jumping into it, it feels like I can handle all of the kind of extroverted things that are thrown at me. Um, as we wrap up, one of the points that you make at the end of your article is you have to work with what you have to make yourself thrive. And I mean, I guess the hard part is not to get discouraged being an introvert living in an extroverted world. That's true. You know, you're who you are. You can't really change. You know, being an introvert is not something that you go grab there off the shelf and get, you know, it's not like something some people can get and others can't. It's who you are. And you have to accept it. You have to live it with it and you have to make it happen. Yeah. You don't have to be afraid to go for those jobs that will benefit your life. But the most important thing is you admit you are an introvert and accept it. And slowly you become, you know, the winner that you want to be. But you will survive in an extroverted environment because I believe at this time, I would do anything I could to do because I've already accepted myself as an introvert and I know my limits. And other people I talk to, they seem to be afraid to to be known to be introverts. You know, they feel like it's kind of a neonate. Yeah, yeah. Something is wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're all full, you're complete. You just need to understand, accept yourself, and go for what you want. Beautiful. And Davis, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and your insight on extroversion and introversion. Thank you so much. I appreciate being you bet. We will take a break, folks. And uh, when we come back, we'll be doing a little coach's corner and talking more about uh, the you know the, the battle all of us face with kind of integrating and 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 being a part of a world where sometimes you don't feel like you're an insider, you feel like you're the outsider, and how we might be able to step into that space a little more comfortably. Stick with us. We'll be right back, helping you see the good in the world. And remember, you're part of that good. We'll be back. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as I was watching the Democratic Convention um, and the Republican Convention, I, I sit and I think there's just a lot of people in the world that feel like they don't fit in. You know? And as we were talking a minute ago about introversion versus extroversion, we struggle. I think, I think it's a human issue that a lot of us, we just feel like we, this, we're this we not in our natural state. Personally, I have beliefs about that. Uh, part of it, I believe, is that who we are on this earth is not who we were before or who what we can become. And so we're, we're kind of like fish out of water. And as we are struggling and trying to deal with this body we picked up, um, you know, I, I picked up a body, my spirit became came into this body, and now I'm trying to make my body work for me, except there's parts of me that are, you know, maybe more introverted. There's parts of me that, uh, that have a harder time, you know, because I'm a high sensitive, so things distract me, smells, light, 
heat, all these things start to irritate me. Like, oh, my word, is anybody going to fix the temperature in here? Is that who I am? Well, no, it's not. But if I all of a sudden end up pulling away from life because sitting in this classroom is so hot, then all of a sudden I'm the one that suffers. And if I suffer and everyone – and I don't fit in, um, then it starts to change the world. What do you do when you're a, a young – when you're a child, a six-year-old, and you don't feel like you fit into the classroom because you don't do math very well? When everyone else in the class can do the math incredibly well and you don't. I remember uh, flashcards. Um, did you ever do this? Flashcards in elementary school, the times tables. And she, the, our teacher would hold it up, uh, hold up the times table. She'd have us in two lines, four times four. And whoever could say it the fastest, 16. Right, stay in line. The one that missed it, losers, go over to the wall. And I remember thinking, I knew the answer. I couldn't get it out of me fast enough. I couldn't get the answer out of me fast enough. And kids could get it out faster. So right then I started thinking, I'm not good at math. I'm not a math kid. Townsends don't do math. We're, we're not math people. And what, notice what happens to us. Because of maybe some of our inclinations, because of some of our tendencies, because of our issues as children – as um, just as anybody, we struggle, and when we struggle, we sometimes figure out or, or make up a story that that must be who we are. I then realized after going to a school that didn't do times table drills in two lines with tons of pressure, but instead let you just do math in your head. I went to a school where they wouldn't let you count on your fingers, and they wouldn't let you. Um, write down like carryover numbers in your math. I had to do it in my head, but they gave you time. And when they gave me the time, I started to thrive in math and I loved math. But when I was put under pressure or made to jump like a monkey in the math class, I realized that, you know what? That's not how I learn. We've got to be careful what we throw on people. And just because somebody isn't performing the way you expect them to perform, don't assume they don't get it and don't assume they're clueless. You might want to assume they just do it a different way, which is why our conversation about introversion and extroversion with Ann Davis was so important. I have a radio show and I have I do work on TV and I teach workshops and I'm a speaker and yet I consider myself an introvert. Isn't that weird? It doesn't mean I'm good at any of it. It just means that's how I make my living, but I'm an introvert. And if I can sit and write and turn on some good music and write, I can fly. Interestingly, the way I write, though, is how I speak. And that doesn't make for great, you know, great forming of sentences. It doesn't make for perfect punctuation, but many times it might be engaging. Why I bring it up about me is I'm about as average as they come. So I am you. And if you are at your work and you're sitting there thinking, oh, my word, I can't do this job. I can't do it. <sighs> what am I supposed to do? Whatever you do, don't run away and hide. There is nothing that's going to benefit you or this world if you shrink. Right? Don't 
shrink away from what you're supposed to bring to this world. So whether it's the fact that you know you're different than someone else, maybe it's your color, your ethnicity, your gender, your history. Maybe it's problems you've had in the past. Maybe it's something more about you know your your upbringing. Maybe you feel different just because of you know your ability to sit still. Whatever it is about you, it doesn't mean you're wrong. It and and it doesn't mean you're not normal. What's normal in this world? What's normal when everything is seemingly so extreme? We the people we hold up as some of the greatest examples in the world are so extreme. Look at your presidential candidates. Look at our athletes. Our athletes we hold up as incredible, but when you look at them physiologically, they're just extreme. They're variants. They're they're anomalies. You know, LeBron James is an anomaly physiologically. His body is outrageous. I know. I just want to be like. I want to be like LeBron. But LeBron's, it's an oddity. I know. The perfect bone structure is a weird freak of nature. The perfect hips don't exist except in airbrushing and, you know, doctor's offices. So be careful how you, the stories you make up about yourself. Even saying you're an extrovert or an introvert, if you're not careful, could uh, brand you as something that you're really not. Don't also brand, your, brand yourself as a negative. Well, I don't know what I am, but I know I'm not this. It's so easy again, and we talk about it all the time on the show. We tend to, as humans, go to the negative side of what we're not. It's more of what we understand about ourselves. Problem is, I may not be awesome at math, but I'm pretty good at math. I can do math. Just don't make me do math and give you a split-second Answer. So my problem may not be math. It may be speed. The problem with speed inherently is accuracy tends to drop. So I'm a guy, I guess, that would prefer some accuracy over speed. Make sense? We need to find ways to uh, to be our best self and not to shrink because when it comes down to it, um, I also feel strongly that if, if we um, – if I don't offer it, like I see all of the time, um, somebody struggles. Somebody came to me yesterday, a couple, and the husband's struggling, and the wife doesn't know what to do. He's got addictions. He's got all of these other problems. And it's easy for them to just kind of shrink away and hide from their church group that they're in. They just want to hide because the the problems this guy has seem are, are embarrassing. For him, they make him feel like he's not part of the part of the team part of the you know christian world but the my fear is if he shrinks away from it and hides away then he doesn't get the support of the the church family but he also doesn't get to teach the lessons to the rest of the church members the church members need to see that people suffer and we need to not see them go away to suffer we need to say have them stay with us and suffer with us and let us suffer with you. And together we can figure out what this all means. When you shrink away, you not only harm yourself because you don't allow the rest of us to help you, but you also, when you shrink away, you don't, know, you don't apparently want us to also learn the lessons we need to learn from your pain, from your suffering. And that's what happens when we start 
you know, kicking people out and building situations in our lives where we try to push the bad people away from our life instead of trying to open up a circle where we can invite them in. You don't have to invite them in to hurt you, but let them in to learn. Let them in to understand the differences. Does that make sense? If you're an extrovert, try to understand the introvert in your life. Last night, my wife texted me. I had I had literally had four hours of sleep the night before, and I was so exhausted at 6.30. And she texted me. She says, we have a funeral to go to, a viewing, and um, and a wedding to go to. Which one should we go to? Now, my wife's a complete introvert or extrovert. Um, and I said in my head, I'm like, well, how about none of them? <laughs> That's kind of my bad natural man. But the other half of me said, okay, well, I don't know. Which one do we choose? And she said, why don't we go to both of them, which is what you'd expect an extrovert to say. <laughs> why don't we go to both of them? And I just had to trust that the extrovert was right, and she was right. And when we went, I wanted to go into my little shell, but instead I just realized, just stay out, just stay out, and just love the person you're with. Just love them, get into them, pay attention to them. I did it through the wedding or the, yeah, the wedding reception and I did it through the funeral uh, viewing and it was a beautiful night and I was fulfilled and magnified and I was able to serve and give. But it was because my wife can trust my introversion enough and I can trust her extroversion enough and both of us were willing to bend a little bit. You have to be willing to bend. If we're going to make these things work, we have to understand each other and be willing to allow the difference to, to help us. Sometimes what my difference helps my wife to not have to do everything but do important things. And sometimes her difference allows me to be where I need to be so I can magnify my purpose, my calling on earth, right? So don't, don't shrink. Um, don't you dare shrink. There's a great quote that says, don't you dare shrink yourself for someone else's comfort. Do, do not become small for people who refuse to grow. Don't shrink because others are influencing you to shrink. Don't shrink because others aren't able to understand you or be mature enough to value you or appreciate you. Each and every one of us has something to offer. And... Um, we can't allow we can't allow any of us to shrink away because we think by them shrinking we get rid of the problem, but we don't. We also lose our ability to handle the difference. Crazy stuff, huh? Little coach's corner for you. We will take a break when we come back. One of our great producers, Leanna Tan, will be um, joining us. We've got a great little piece she put together about etiquette and the history of etiquette. You're not going to want to miss it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and become the best you can become. In the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, before going out, your mom probably taught you to remember your manners. She'd tell you, you know, don't, don't keep your, you know, keep your elbows off the uh, table, folks, and shake hands. Make sure you shake their hands. Look them in the eye when you shake their hand. Who decided that these odd habits were polite? Our producer, Leanna Tan, is going to enlighten us a little on what she found out about the history of American etiquette.
friend one time asked me what would I do if I saw an angel coming down from heaven. And I said, sneeze. Huh? Well, I just imagine this super bright light falling from the sky. And when I see bright lights, I sneeze. And then I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have an actual angel say bless you? Well, I guess that would only happen if it were like a European angel, though, because not everyone actually says bless you. Yeah, I lived in Japan for a little while, and I noticed that after I sneezed, no one said anything. It was silent. In fact, they just pretended like nothing even happened. But they're all about manners and etiquette in Japan, so I wanted to learn the phrase for bless you so that I could be polite. And then somebody told me, They don't say that. And I was like, what? I had never even considered that because you just grow up and it's like you sneeze and someone says, bless you. It's almost like innate now. But after I learned that, I thought, why? Why do we say that? Why do people need to be blessed? And who came up with that? Who decided that that was the polite thing to do? So then I looked on mentalfloss.com and I read this article called The Amazing Origins of 15 Etiquette Rules. And it says that the practice of saying bless you goes back to 590 CE when Pope Gregory I commanded that anyone who sneezed immediately be blessed because they thought that it was a sign that they had contracted the plague. I just thought I was really lucky to be getting blessed like five times more than everyone else every time I walked out in the bright sun or someone turned on a light. But then I thought if they were blessing people because they contracted the plague, why don't we say bless you after people cough? <coughs> Who really made up all these unwritten rules? Where did all of our manners and etiquette come from? I just chose a few of these to share with you to enlighten you on our etiquette culture. Number two, giving a lady the interior of a sidewalk. Apparently, men gave women the interior of the sidewalk to save her from the perilous road so as not to subject her to splashes or runaway carriages. I didn't know this was a thing. I just always thought they were trying to give me, like, the elevated part of the sidewalk so our height differences weren't so noticeable. But knowing that they were actually sacrificing their lives to save me from oncoming traffic think I might have some reconsidering to do. Number three, showering a bride with gifts. Way back when, if a father didn't approve of the man his daughter wanted to marry, she wouldn't have a dowry. So her friends would all get together and shower her with gifts so she would have something to offer the groom and their marriage could move forward. Oh man, having guilty flashbacks of all those bridal showers I didn't go to. What if I prevented my friends from matrimonial bliss because I didn't add my chopstick set or hand-painted mugs to the pile? Well, I know what this means. I just need a few hundred more friend donations so I can marry James Marsden. Number four, touching glasses for toast. I guess the gesture is a subtler form of spilling a little of your beverage into your neighbor's glass, a practice that was developed as a sign of faith. If you were trying to poison your dinner companion, you too would be poisoned. Note, this is also how you transfer mono. In the Middle Ages, alcohol was thought to contain literal spirits that made those who partook behave outrageously. Bells, or clinking glasses, was thought to drive away these evil spirits. Devil child! Devil child! Well, I wonder how long it took them to realize that clinking glasses wasn't helping anything, or saving them from massive hangovers. <laughs> okay, I had to include this next one. Number five, not wearing white after Labor Day. High society, wealthy women in the 1800s established a series of arbitrary fashion dictates to weed out the new money from the old money, and avoiding white in the winter was just one of these. Okay, that is ridiculous. I didn't know that was considered polite. How is this part of etiquette? 
Excuse me, I didn't know I was offending anyone with my ski vest. <gasps> I, I can't even breathe. I'm so offended. I always just thought it was because it was a safety hazard to be wearing white and cross the street in the middle of a snowstorm. Okay, well, I think I got it. Next time I'm at a family dinner, I'll be sure to head over there on the interior of the sidewalk, dressed in all black, turn off all the lights so I don't sneeze, and then just start clinking everything around me to save my family from all the evil spirits in my siblings. Then I will become so polite that people will flock to me. But I will only befriend those who are rich enough to contribute to my dowry, and I'll have everything I need to become the next Mrs. Marsden. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. Bless you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of the program. Happy Friday to you and happy lasagna day. Mmm. Lasagna, probably my favorite meal. If I were on death row and they asked me what I'd want my last meal to be. Ooh, good question. What would you eat? Hmm. Lasagna? I would go with lasagna. Like special lasagna or just like... Just heavy. Go to the grocery store, get something Uh, frozen or... Even that could work. Really? It's just kind of like, I don't... It won't matter at that point. So pretty much you're saying you have no standards. Right. Okay. That's what I got. I mean, a homemade lasagna, you can't beat. So Absolutely. probably my mom's homemade lasagna, some garlic bread, mm, a really good salad. <sighs> That's what I want on my death as my final meal. Really? I don't know what I'd want. Now, this is hypothetical, right? I mean, I, I'm not having a last meal, right? Not so hypothetical. I would probably get a, a guac burger with a huge milkshake. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I thought you were allergic to milk. I thought you were lactose intolerant. Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm about to die, so. I guess you're right. Live it up while you can. That's right. Oh, well, then if that's yeah, then I'd have everything. I'd I'd have a I'd have a pound of cheese. I need melted. curly fries as well. They have to be curly. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Interesting. Think about it, folks. What would you have for your last meal? Today is lasagna day. It's also talk in an elevator day. What would you have, Terry, for your last meal? Tacos. Like five for a dollar? Yeah. Just get some real cheap tacos. I went to a wedding last night where they served, they had a taco truck. Oh, hey, well, come on in. Sure. Taco truck. And they gave, uh, every, you could have as many tacos as you want. So tacos may be a great last meal. It's talk in an elevator day, and uh, it's also International Tiger Day. Mm, it's a good day. It's a good day. You got to watch out for tigers, though. They'll uh, they'll get you one way or another. We've got so much on the show for you today that we we really have. Um, we're going to touch them all, as we used to say in baseball lingo. Touch them all. We will get into the movies and be talking to uh, Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews about some of the movies being released. Uh, really, the one that you see on all the billboards uh, today, Jason Bourne, it's it's here, finally. They don't do enough of the Jason Bourne series. They should do more? Yeah. What do you need to know? 
Well, I love that the crash scene and the driving scene in Russia reminded me of Trump. When they're driving Putin, that. When they went, yeah. Range Rover and yeah. jamming. That yeah, was one of the, the greatest scenes, I think, uh, as far as car chase scenes. Well, this new one has one that goes down the uh, Las Vegas Strip. Really? Yeah. They, they actually shut the Las Vegas Strip down every evening for about three weeks when they filmed it. To get this scene right, and there's cars flying everywhere and explosions, Holy all kinds cow. of great stuff. So, yeah. From what I hear, Matt Damon only has 25 lines yeah, that he that says. Too. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> he barely speaks. He probably made a ton of money for well, 25 lines. He's busy. He doesn't have time to speak. That's probably a million dollars a line. Probably. Man, I'm in the wrong profession. No word on if there's going to be more movies. There better be. Come on. They're fun. Come on. So we'll get to the movies. We will also be doing what we call the Rorschach test. It's a, it's a psychological evaluation. If you remember back in the day, it was the ink blot test. And um, we have one that's called Radio Rorschach where we play sounds and it helps me analyze the people on my staff. It's really a public service for the BYU Broadcasting exactly. community. No, exactly. I'm here to to understand my people, and in understanding my people, we provide a better service for the rest of the world. That's the goal of the Rorschach test. So I'm going to get into the brains of one of our producers today, which could be could be scary. Could be scary. You could arrive. And not like what you find. Yeah, exactly. So we'll try that uh, in and <laughs> see what I learn. Not, we're not going to try anything. We're going to do it, and I'm going to learn whatever I can to get in the brains of some of our producers. Also, we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up in their world. And we'll be, of course, talking about a hero story. All of that. But first, we've got to get to the headlines around the country. And who better to do that than Caitlin Thomas? Caitlin. Thanks, Matt. As his approval ratings with minority voters continue to plummet, Donald Trump's campaign rescheduled yet another minority outreach event this week. The Republican nominee was set to attend a Hispanic roundtable in Miami on Tuesday, but two days after scheduling, the campaign said the attended attendees were not in town after all and that the roundtable would be delayed again. The event, first delayed after the police shootings in Dallas on July 7th, had been initially scheduled for July 9th. A new date has has not yet been announced. Battlefield success against ISIS may produce more terrorism for the West, says FBI Director James Comey. Um, Speaking to a cybersecurity conference at Fordham University on Wednesday, Comey predicted that eventually crushing ISIS and its self-proclaimed caliphate in Syria and Iraq will likely result in terrorist attacks elsewhere. The FBI director's warning that the collapse of the caliphate will mean increased attacks in Western Europe and the United States mirrors a consensus among intelligence officials. Katie Dix, the Cal State Channel Islands college student who died of an overdose at a rave at the Los Angeles County Fairgrounds last August, allegedly went without medical attention for half an hour after collapsing. She'd suffered a cardiac arrest by the time she arrived at the Pomona Valley Hospital Medical Center. Last Friday, her parents filed a lawsuit against the Los Angeles County Fair Association, the city of Pomona, the county, and event host Live Nation for negligence. The suit alleges that the defendants, quote, breached their duties to protect those attending the Hard Summer Music Festival from people distributing illicit drugs drugs and that the rave was overcrowded and understaffed. And here's your last headline for the day, Matt. Yes. Look out tomorrow. So tomorrow, this is happening tomorrow. On Saturday, a veteran skydiver will leap out of a plane at 25,000 feet without a parachute. What? Luke Akins will not be wearing a wingsuit either when he takes the 120 mile per hour, mile per hour plunge just north of LA, hopefully landing in a 10,000 square foot net that's 20 stories high. Oh, he's dead. That's high enough so he won't hit the ground, but also designed so he 
also hopefully won't bounce back out. Still, <laughs> quote, he says, if I wasn't nervous, I would be stupid. Yeah. Six months of prepping seemed to have gone generally well. The one test run with a 200 pound dummy didn't end as expected. The dummy crashed right through the net. So. Oh, boy. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. <sighs> might have to give an update on Monday when we come back in. Yeah. Happy Saturday. Wow, Caitlin. Yeah. May, yeah. may you fly well. Thanks, Caitlin. That's scary. Why? Why? People, come on. You know what I learned about falling? Yes. Maybe we ought to call him. Let him know my advice. Roll. Right when you hit the ground, make make sure you roll. So when he's going 125 miles an hour, my only advice is roll when you hit. Right? Sure, it might roll you about six feet deep into the ground at 125 miles an hour. It depends. If you get a good spin going. You could you could you might be fine. Keep maybe. keep your hands and legs in. Keep your yeah. arms and legs in tight tight to your body. And then right when you hit it's timing. A lot of this is timing. Because right before your uh, metatarsals shatter, you need to bend and roll. I wonder how wide his net is. It's, you know, probably, like, it's three or four feet wide. Yeah. <laughs> so if if he tucks in. How do you hit a net? I mean, I get it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I play basketball. Mm. But you're going to supposedly jump out of an airplane, go 125 miles an hour, no parachute. You got nothing to catch you here except a net and then my advice of rolling. Mm. Well, this yeah. man is dead. Yeah. I hope he doesn't die now. But that just – maybe he knows something I don't know. I'm sure he does. Maybe he knows physics better than you do. I doubt it because he wouldn't be doing this. This is nuts. Right? This is crazy. Yeah. Well, it's the ultimate stunt. Yeah. If it works, most what? popular plan, popular man on the planet. Not if it really. Does, if it no. doesn't work – Because no one will hear about it if, well, he, no, if they it will. works. If it works, then everybody will want to see the video. Yeah. If it doesn't work, people will maybe would want to see it, but you really don't want to see it. Right. So let's just let's just get this straight. If it works, hmm. he will be up there. I mean if it works huge. Yeah. And he gets a viral pick up and it works, he will be as big as the mom with the Chewbacca mask. Right. So that's the upside. Yeah. If he if it doesn't work, He's dead. <laughs> yeah, but He's you know, dead. at least you tried. By the way, that could also – I guess that's the point. It could go either way. He could also be as big as the the mom with the Chewbacca mask mm-hmm. and be dead. See, right. So it could go viral either way. This is how I see it. Uh-oh. <laughs> a woman buys a Chewbacca mask for probably like 15 bucks. Right. YouTube fame, right? A guy is spending a bunch of money – to risk his life to fall into a net from 25,000 feet mm-hmm. maybe gets a, about the same amount of recognition. Yeah. You got to just buy the Chewbacca mask. Right. Always, always go with the Chewbacca mask. <laughs> you can't lose. Now, you want to really make this crazy? Mm. Have him do it in a Chewbacca mask while yelling, oh, all the way down. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. I don't know. I feel bad. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to curse this event. I, I I wish nothing but the best for him. When's this happening? When's the his? When's he jumping? The jump is tomorrow, and okay. I think the viewing is going to be like three days later. It's not. I don't mean to joke about it, but this that's crazy. Like you're alive right is now. Is he going to live stream it? 
I hope not. You know he is. Ugh. It's going to be on Facebook. So he must know something. Like he must have. There's a trick. They tried it with a dummy, and the dummy shot through the net. Well, there is a point where you're you hit terminal velocity, and that's yeah. Yeah, there's not much that's going to slow you down at that point. Well, yeah. except for you know the hard stop at the end. There's something. There's something. You know what else? Let me give him some more advice. Hmm. Again, somebody that lots I of ha- experience. Here. I, I have never jumped out of a plane without it, but I have watched many people in those flying suits. Hmm. Um, those are fun. I think what he needs to do is right at the last second before he hits the net, he needs to flare up. Ooh. You know, pick yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Like, like try to pull it up and then flare. Flare real big. And then hit the net. And then roll. And then roll. Wow, that's, that's always the roll. Always, always the roll. roll. And at the last second, hold on to your head. <laughs> you, you're going to want your head with your body. Wow. Yeah, this seems sort of a problematic PR it's technical. choice to make. Crazy. Hey, um, one thing that I know will make us feel a lot better, uh, if we're not watching that, you could go to the pie fight that breaks the world record. Wow. That was a pie at 25,000 feet into the net. Wow. Tested. And it splattered all over the place. <laughs> More than 1,000 people got pie-faced and broke a world record for the largest shaving cream pie fight. The 1,186 people taking part exceeded the 869 holders of the current record. The fight took place at the annual uh, Another Fine Fest in Ulverston, England. Sari Hutton from Team Pie said it was a moment of pure joy when the pie started to fly. Just the sound of over 1,000 people squealing and laughing, she said. It's only right that Ulverston, birthplace of comedy legend Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy, should hold this record. In the end, the record was set by all the participants throwing nearly 3,000 pies of the regulation size 16.5 centimeters for one minute. (sighs) Now, does that not sound a lot more fun than jumping out of an airplane? Depends if jumping out of the airplane is successful. Because, like, that's... That's just just one guy, though. That's eternal glory. For one guy. Yeah. But this is... This was 1,100 people, 1,200 people. Yeah, but... Enjoying... Laughing, giggling. But they're not going to, like, be remembered for this years to come. Oh, are you kidding? Grandpa, do you remember when you won the pie-throwing contest with 1,100 other people? I sure do. I sure do, Sonny. I love you. You make me so proud. But notice how interesting this is. These are all people trying to stand out in their own little way here on this earth. That's, that's what we do. We try to just make a difference, try to stand out. Um, how are you going to stand out? Interesting question for you. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking movies, folks. And uh, one of the great movies that's out, Jason Bourne. Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews will be reviewing that for us. Stick with us, helping you have a great weekend and a great life. We'll be right back. (music) 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Because it's Friday, that means it's time for movies. And who better to walk us through uh, some of the latest releases than Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Rod is a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. And uh, he's here today on the line to review with us Jason Bourne. How are you, Rod? I'm doing well. Thank you, Matt. Good to have you again. And this is a movie, I love the Bourne series, um, but I'm frustrated by having to wait so long between each one. Yeah, well, and it's been a long time since we've seen Matt Damon in this role. In fact, I kind of thought that Matt Damon was done because he didn't not participate at all in the previous Bourne movie. And, um, And the other thing is, we're out of books. And I always worry when we get out of books and then Hollywood starts making it up. <laughs> right, exactly. Then it, then it's going nowhere. Yeah. It's not yeah. going to work. So, yeah. And, you know, this one, I, you, I, it's interesting. I gave it the same. We were out, our, our reviewer, Catherine, gave it the same grade. We work on these things together as we did the last Born movie. Hmm. And our grades are a little bit interesting because, of course, they take into account the amount of violence and everything else that's going on. This one was just a shade less uh, less violent. And when I say a shade, I'm talking a very small shade, a little less profanity, uh, a little less sexual content. So that still brought it in at a B minus, which means we're just barely recommending it. But you know, it, it's not just it's not quite as good as the hmm. other three Bourne movies. So from that perspective, I was a little more disappointed. Darn it. Come on, Matt. Hey, yeah. Matt he just got back. Make it work, Matt. <laughs> Make it work. So what's yeah. it about? What's the whole story? I mean, I'm same character, right? Uh, what, yeah. where, where does yeah. it take place? Well, the whole, the whole deal, of course, with Jason Bourne is that we are wanting to know what his backstory is. How did he get in the situation he was in? And of course... It, within the Bourne trilogy, we finally got most of that answer by the time the, the, those three stories had concluded. So now in this story, we're getting the back-back story. In this case, he's wanting to know about his father and how his father died and what were the circumstances surrounding that. So Jason Bourne reappears on the grid, so to speak, and, uh, and of course, the CIA is very concerned about that. And uh, we also see Nikki Parsons uh, in this film as well. And I'm not going to say too much because I don't want to give away too much. Tommy Lee Jones is playing the, CIA, the director of the CIA. And, uh, and of course, Tommy Lee's character wants Bourne dead. He doesn't care what he's up to. He just wants him dead. But they introduce a new character in this film. Her name is Heather Lee. And you know she's kind of coming in as the new Nikki Parsons. And she's feeling like Bourne is still worth something, and he's worth something to the agency, and, and she still sees good in Bourne. So she wants to try and bring Bourne in, back into the agency, whereas the director just wants him dead. So there's a little bit of a, a workplace disagreement, hmm. you might say. Yeah. And, uh, but essentially, everybody is chasing Bourne, and of course, Bourne always manages to stay one step ahead of them. Is um, so you're saying there's a lot of there's more violence in it, uh, but not not as much sexual content content. Really, no sexual content in this film. Good. Uh, there's no time for such things because there's nearly there's all a physical confrontation on the screen for probably about ninety percent of the movie, which is going to be the greatest concern for parents. 
And fortunately, um, the thing I do like about the porn movies is uh, light on sexual content and also light on profanity, and this one even more so. Uh, I think we have one scatological term and then a few other what we call mild uh, profanities in this movie, but not a whole lot in the way of language either. It really is about the violence. And uh, again, a lot of that hand-to-hand combat type of stuff where people are being thrown against cement walls and pillars and floors and whatever and uh and uh a few other things going on that that are that are really going to be to some people are definitely going to be scary to younger children maybe even a little bit disturbing to even some older audience members as well but the the violence is not detailed and explicit there is some blood but not much not as much as there really would have been had this been reality yeah Right. And uh, the overall rating you gave it was what, a B minus? So a B minus on this. You know, Matt, it comes down to this. If you've watched the other Bourne movies, you're going to want to come see this one. And you're probably going to enjoy it. I don't know that you're going to walk out of the theater feeling quite as satisfied. Like, in my opinion, the third Bourne movie was just wonderful. I thought they really, really tied that off really well. And it came together very nicely. This one does not have that satisfying feeling to it. There is also a sense that they are rebooting the franchise and that there are many opportunities to plug in the next Born movie. And sometimes, um, you know, I, I feel like when when creators, when they're, when they're making movies, sometimes they get a little bit too caught up on the marketing opportunities and how to set it up for the next event that they don't really do enough with the, with the actual film that they're working on. Now, this is directed by Paul Greengrass. He did do um, a couple of the other Bourne movies. And, uh, and so, I mean, the directing's quite good. My other complaint, though, is the fight scenes. You know, there's so much editing, and they move so quickly. After a while, it's hard to tell who's punching who. And <laughs> a good fight scene, I know that sounds like a strange way to put it, but a good fight scene is like a ballet. And you really should be able to root for the, for the guy that you're hoping to win and all of that type of stuff. And this one just comes across like a lot of frenetic editing. And yeah. It loses a little bit of its momentum. Well, you know, Rod, as a past uh, divorce mediator, I've seen a lot of good fight scenes. <laughs> and you're right. There, there's something about creating some space in there where you can at least know what's going on that makes it more That's interesting. Right. And, and uh, yes, and like I say, a good fight should be like a good ballet, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. Minus the tutu. Hey, um, so it sounds, it sounds great. Uh, anything else? Just we've got a minute or so. Anything, any other shows that we should be looking for coming out soon uh, that, we, that you'll be previewing in the future or any that are out that we really need to make sure we go check out? You know, we've got two more this week, and then go ahead. Both of these are going to be warning reviews. First of all, we've got a movie called Nerve, and this is a movie that's targeting teens, and it's all about this online internet game, fictitious game, where young people dare each other to do things, and they're the players, and then you have another group of young people who are the watchers, and they pay 20 bucks a month to watch what the players are doing, and that money is used to reward the players when they finish their dares. This movie is very well done. In fact, it's too well done. I found it one of the most engaging teen movies I've seen in a while. But I am concerned that a lot of young people are going to watch this and maybe want to get caught up in doing 
some of the things that are being depicted in this oh, film. Boy. So moms and dads approach that one with caution, and that's called Nerve. It's rated PG-13, so no problem with your kids getting into that. And then we have another movie releasing this week that I think is going to be the big winner this weekend. It's an R-rated film called Bad Moms. And it has the best of intentions with the worst of deliveries. And uh, a lot of crude language and bad mums. Really not a well-made movie either. It's got a very, uh, a very cardboard protagonist. And it could have done a whole lot more good had they not gone down this track. Hmm. But uh, this is made by the same two guys that wrote the Hangover series. Oh, boy. So why are we not surprised? So exactly. Look out for Yeah. Yeah, so watch out for Bad Moms and Nerve. Uh, serious watch outs for those. And Jason Bourne might be a good shot if you uh, if you like the Bourne series already. Well, Rod, we appreciate you, my friend. Keep up your great work there at parentpreviews.com. Thank you, Matt. Take care. Uh, again, what a great resource to go in and at least be able to look at every movie and know, should my kids be seeing this? Should, should this even be there for them uh, in, as far as your world and where you can have a little bit of responsibility and control. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will be doing what we call Radio Rorschach. I'm going to do a little analysis of one of our newest employees here at Brigham Young University or BYU Broadcasting. I try to get an inside scoop and understand psychologically what's happening with them. You're not going to want to miss this, folks. Uh, Radio Rorschach up next. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little bit of a serious part of the show. Anytime we hire a new employee, uh, the HR department likes me to take a little time with the employee and do a little psychological evaluation. And uh, joining us today is Lauren Simpson, one of our newest producers on the Matt Townsend Show. She's from West Virginia. Is that how they say it, Lauren? Um, Very close. Okay. Yeah. West Virginia. Harper's Ferry. Yes, Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Sweet. And um, the neat thing about what we're doing, Lauren, because you're brand new. This is You've only been here like a week and or five, four days. Yeah. So you've heard of the Rorschach test, haven't you? Have you ever? No. The, the Rorschach test is the ink blot test where they, they pull up a card. Uh, it's, it's a blot of ink and they have you look at it. And then what you do is you just tell us your thoughts, what's going on in your mind when you think, when you see that image. And what it does for me as a doctor is I can explore psychologically your, your thinking. Wow. So it's powerful. It's profound. But one of the things we've been innovating on our show is a thing called Radio Rorschach. Okay. Because it's radio. It can't be visual, right? So we're going to use sounds. So what we'd like to do to take you through the test is – and you can't fail this. So you don't even need to worry. There's no failing it. It's just – it just helps I'm us. I'm just going to find out if I'm crazy yeah. or not. No, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll, really, I'll find out, Lauren. Um, <laughs> but it's what it's more going to do, and everyone out there in listener land can can not. I was going to say play along, but this isn't. We're not playing. This is uh, contest along with us. So when you hear a sound, I'm just going to have you explain the sound. Like, what's going on with the sound in your head? Like, what what are you thinking of when you hear this sound? Okay, makes sense. You don't have to get too personal. All right. Right, but uh, I mean, some of these sounds will totally take you to a very personal place. So let's hear the first sound. 
It sounds very calming. Yeah. Tell me more. What do you mean calming? What's so calming about it? It sounds like a waterfall or maybe a stream. Ooh, like an ocean. Does I don't it sound know. Like a stream I don't really think of an ocean. Okay. It sounds more like a waterfall to me. I think maybe that's just because there's not an ocean in West Virginia. <laughs> we have a lot of waterfalls and some rivers there, and so we go out tubing, and so. So you're like floating in a tube underneath a waterfall. Maybe not underneath the waterfall. Maybe next to it. Excellent. Okay, let me just write that down. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay. Good test there. Uh, let's do the <laughs> next one, Lauren. This is more like rain. Is it rain to you? This makes me think of how I need to go get my bicycle and put it in the covered shelter because right now it's over by the Wilk. Oh, interesting. So look at you. You're bringing it back to the real world today. Your bike, you got to go get your bike because it might be rained on. Excellent. Very responsible. Or irresponsible. It should probably already be in the covered shelter. Let me just write that down. Cool. Okay, let's do the next one. What does this remind you of? This kind of reminds me of New York City. I go there sometimes in the summer. Yeah. It's a short drive from West Virginia. And (laughs) you have to be careful. There are a lot of people on the streets who will stop and talk to you. And if you even give them a nod, that's an invitation for them to talk to you for the next 30 minutes about the CD that they're producing and how you need to buy it. Mm -hmm. Is that where you got the Rolex you're wearing? No. (laughs) I understand. I understand. So, um, yeah, New York City. Very good. And... uh, let me write that down. Okay. Okay. So you've got tubing, a bicycle in New York City. Interesting. We're learning a lot about you, Lauren. Uh, here's the next sound. I'm sure this isn't what it is, but it sort of sounds like popcorn kernels turning in oil about to pop. Mm. We have a popcorn machine at my house, and my dad's obsessed with popcorn, so... We can't even eat movie theater popcorn without looking down upon it now. Our popcorn's just that much better. Really? Yes. So you're a, you're like a popcorn purist. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fanatic. I you, can... You're an elitist, it sounds like. An elitist popcornitis. <laughs> Popcornist. That's, That's a good a, title. Um, that actually wasn't popcorn. What was that? Ben? Um, <clears throat> for not, the... And you can't be wrong. Right, but I am, so what For the is integrity it? of the test, we cannot divulge that. For right. for the listeners, be Oh, that's right. Well, maybe after we'll divulge it after. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, popcorn in oil, memories of elitism <laughs> in the popcorn genre. Okay. <sighs> okay, is the test – are you okay? Is it hard? Is this an easy I'm test? I'm sweating a little. Okay. It, it won't get easy or harder. It can't – I mean, it's just – this is just your brain. Okay, next sound. First it sounded like the mall, but now there's some music coming in on top of it. Zombie apocalypse mall. What the? Or an alien invasion? What is happening? I don't know. What does this sound like to you? (laughs) That was weird. None of the people talking thought it was weird, though. I know. Somebody... The noise in the background didn't even stop. No. You'd think it would have stopped. Yeah. So maybe... Maybe it wasn't a zombie invasion or an alien invasion. Maybe that was a mall on another planet, and that's why it was so normal. Hold it. Um, a mall? 
Yeah, that was definitely a mall chatter. On another planet. Yeah, because otherwise that noise would have been weird for them, and they would have stopped talking. Now, a mall on another planet? You don't think they shop on other planets? I don't know. I've never been to another planet. <laughs> Is, uh, do you, be, I don't know do what you they know do something on the we don't know? Well, the mall's fun. If there are females on another planet, there's a mall. That's for sure. Okay. Uh, is there something going on in West Virginia that makes you more on the inside of knowing if there's malls on other planets? West Virginia? Yeah. Did I, did I say West Virginia? Yeah. You got it wrong. Uh, did West Virginia? <laughs> you you seem to – so let me get this straight. You like waterfalls. Okay. Floating on tubes, not under them, near them. Right. Rain. Okay. But just get your bike out of it. Okay. <laughs> that interesting. New York City, where you got your Rolex. Um, popcorn popping on the apricot. Tree, a popcorn in oil, but yours is better than most theaters. Any any theater. Any theater on Earth. Yes. Probably in the other planet where the mall is, too. Both malls. Okay. okay. And uh, you – that last sound was – was it – it was a mall. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. The last sound was actually um, an, an alien landing. An alien landing in a mall? Where was it located, Benjamin? Um, I think it was Houston, Texas. Oh, now we disclose the information. The Houston, Texas Mm -hmm. mall location. Okay. So you were very accurate about the mall and about the alien invasion. Well, there you go. Uh, I wouldn't call Houston another planet. Well, they certainly didn't take too much surprise to the alien invasion. That that was a little offensive to to Houstons and to aliens everywhere. You know what? The Texans have enough pride they can afford to be taken down a notch. Holy cow. (laughs) Lauren's a pistol. <laughs> Lauren, you passed the test. You can officially become a member of the team. Oh, good. You know, I was getting concerned about why you needed a new person. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, maybe this could have something to do with it. So Totally. The right. last person, not to disclose much, was abducted. Oh, dear. By an alien spacecraft in Houston <laughs> and taken to another planet. And uh, you passed, though. So you're legit. You're part of the team, and you're going to be working in the more on the 7 a.m. hour. Is that what is, yes. they assigned you? Yes, 7 a.m. hour. I'm going to help you find you're your interviews. Be great. And- you're great. And <laughs> hey, if you're in West Virginia, you ought to be proud. The girl yeah, held stop her by own. and say hi. You killed it, Lauren Simpson. Thanks. Thank Excited you. to hear more from you over the next year or two or three or five. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, helping uh, helping you understand your inner self. We'll be right back. La, 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 lasagna. You want the summer lasagna. Magnifico. Or maybe spaghetti. Hey, you suppers are ready. Now Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little music to introduce two of our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. And uh, we're going to go down to Jerem and Jason, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. What's up, guys? How are you? Is this song more about Weird Al or is no. it more about, more about it's, the topic of lasagna? It, it's the topic of lasagna. Guess what today is, folks? National Lasagna Day? National Lasagna Day. And I decided if I had, if I were, you know, going to be dying and I had my last meal, I would want my last meal to be lasagna. Really? Yes. Okay. Where do you, where have you had the best lasagna? My mom. You don't have to say that. Mamma mia. Mamma mia makes lasagna like crazy. I love it. 
She's I love lasagna. it's the That's best my lasagna. Best dish is, lasagna. is it really? Oh. oh yeah. It's heaven. But you need a good salad, you need some good uh, you know, um what's it called? Bread uh breadsticks. Breadsticks. Oh. Sticks of bread. <laughs> Funny when you say it like that. Is that a stick of bread? What? Hey, um, it's lasagna day, by the way. Want a stick? It's also, huh? I'm, I'm going to give you another clue, and you've got to guess what another day is today. What does this music remind you of? Elevator music day? It's talking elevator day. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are three for three. No, two for two because the other one was uh, International Tiger Day, and we're not going to do that one. London, the miners, man. Oh, someone just came in the elevator. Hi, welcome. Why is, why is the elevator the most uncomfortable spot? Like I, I would be more uncomfortable if I knew that someone was going to engage me in convo every time. Though. Like, like you I'm could like, be. I just want to go to the second floor. I don't need to chat about how it's eighty-two degrees outside today. You could I'm literally good. be the most talkative person in the world. Just, just completely talking. Yeah. As soon as we all get in the elevator, we clam up. Why well, is that? Well, it's, I think it's because the doors are shut, and you don't know if this other person's going to. You know, die, bite your neck. You don't know. It's I'm all willing, unknown. I'm willing to say that I'm out of the out of the three of us. I'm probably the only one who's been stuck in an elevator. Have you been stuck? I have been stuck in an elevator. The good thing is, yeah, I it happened to be uh, with a young lady. Whoa! That uh, that uh, I was uh, very much um, um, fond of. Your mom? La fond of? <laughs> no, La fond of. <laughs> It was we were we we'd gone back to really uh, yeah we were we were actually in the elevator that was in the the condo complex and it got stuck halfway <gasps> in between a floor. Wow! It was it honestly it was really scary. Did, is this when did you cry? I didn't cry. Did you whimper? No. Again, I was you know it was it was kind of cool because I I was you with could... this young lady and it was like okay if I'm going to be stuck in an elevator I don't mind it being with her. Well, did you turn on the man charm and like start? Did you... <laughs> I know what you did. No, you no, immediately no. took your shirt off and started to work the door. <laughs> no, no. With your big muscles. Don't worry. Let me just open this right here. Sit right here, little lady. I'll take care of you. Just completely break the door open. How great! What a, this is a perfect scenario. Oh what, yeah. Tell the story. What happened in the end? Did did you save her? Did she? Uh, well, what, we, did you need we, CPR? We called. We ended up having to call. You know, when you, you open the little door and it's got a phone in there. Yeah. We called that phone, and whoever answers at the other end, they they called help, and the the fire department came and. And got us out. How long were you in there? Uh, at least an hour. Wow. Maybe like an hour and a half. Romance. What did you talk about? I don't remember what we talked about. But it was it was very cordial. I mean, there was there was nothing you know, there was nothing going on. It was just it was nice that if I was gonna be stuck in an elevator that it was with her. There yeah, I mean it could have been with like a really hairy guy named Chuck. <laughs> Why is it gotta be Chuck? I always gotta be Chuck. I don't know, that seemed rude. <laughs> if you're a Chuck, that's not meant to be rude. What if you, um, I mean, like, did you ever sit there and say, you know, I don't want to die this way. I don't want to die having never kissed a girl. <laughs> um, no, that didn't enter my mind. Yeah, you should have thought of that. Yeah, I, I probably, probably. You know what I would have said? And it could have gone either way. I would have said, what was the lady's name? Do you remember? Uh, her name was Adrian. Yo, Adrian. Yo. <laughs> Classic. Then I'd say, are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> Narnia, then it's happening. <laughs> she she would have said, "What? That you're going to I'm going to stand on your shoulders and you're going to let me out the top?" No, that's not what I was thinking. 
that actually probably would have been a better thing than waiting an hour and a half. You yeah. probably could have gotten out a lot faster that way. It seemed like you kind of gave up by just sitting and waiting. Immediately, I just went and I just curled up into a ball and started crying <laughs> in, the fetal, in the corner. Fetal position. Yeah. She's like, Jason, you'll be okay. <laughs> she was comforting me. Don't, Jason, we'll get out of here. <laughs> are, the, are, are the walls closing in on me? Oh, man. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, it, it sounded like, honestly, how old were you, by the way? Uh, would have been 21. Ooh, yeah. 21? Yeah. Were yeah. you, were you as, are you, were you in as great a shape as you are now? No, I was not. Were you winded? No, I was not winded. I was still in good shape, but not as in good shape as I am now. Were you winded after you freaked out for about 20 minutes? Well, no, there's a difference between winded and hyperventilating. Yeah, that's true. Totally different. <laughs> Two totally different things. Wow, man. A great story. Man. I'm glad so we brought that up. So neither one of you have ever been stuck in an elevator. Oh, no. No, I don't think so. No. I take the stairs. You don't think so. I'm pretty sure you'd remember if you had. <laughs> I've been um, stuck in a lot of things, yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but never an elevator. <laughs> hey, um, what's on your show today? How long can you wait for a potential Big 12 invite for BYU? That's what we'll discuss today. Well, don't we have to wait until they do it? <laughs> there are different angles on that. Um, how long can you wait until they announce it? How uh, long can you wait before BYU is actually in the Big 12? So say there is an announcement, but BYU is not in it until 2018 or 19. Would you be okay with that? Mm. Um, yeah, we'll, just, we'll discuss the different angles of, of that. And then does, a, does an announcement that takes longer than, say, sooner, is that a positive or a negative maybe for BYU? We'll slice mm. that out. That's a good show. Yeah. That's it? That's we all have, we have. We have Chase Fisher, yeah. the BYU basketball player. He's going to join us in studio. He just signed a contract to play in Italy. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to get paid to play hoops. Ooh. And uh, Jimmy Birch. I of, knew you uh, had more. Yeah. Fort Star. Fort Worth Star. Fort Worth Star Telegram. Uh, he wrote an article talking about uh, what should happen with Big 12 expansion, and it should include BYU. So we'll get his take on what's going on and why BYU should be involved. Oh, man. Great show, of course. We're stoked. Great show. Okay, gentlemen, go make it a great one. And remember, let's take the stairs. <laughs> if we've learned anything. If we've learned anything on this segment, take the <laughs> stairs. See you guys. Make That's it a great one. Have fun. That's cool. That would be horrible. But if you're stuck in, a, if you're stuck in an elevator with a, a lovely other person, it, it could be that would make the time fly. I'd probably just do push-ups. Push-ups and sit-ups. Count my push-ups. <laughs> hey, hey, Adrian, can you count for me? Sometimes I do so many push-ups I quit counting. <laughs> I don't know. Jason's ripped, though. That's pretty cool. Hey, uh, if you've heard about something, if you need something to do over the weekend and you don't want to watch the guy jump out of an airplane and fly 125 miles an hour without a parachute and then land in a net, if you don't want to watch that, you could look up the Cheetos Museum online. This summer, the online Cheetos Museum is taking submissions from people who believe they have spotted a unique Cheeto. Uh, One of our very own people on our team, Sadie Nielsen, um, has entered to win. If you want to go look hers up, you go to – you just go to the – go look up Cheeto Museum and then start looking for hers. Hers is a Cheeto that looks kind of like a grandma holding a baby. It's more like a blob. Yeah. Not really – it doesn't really have any form. It, it's it, yeah. it's a grandma, like a blobby grandma holding, uh, Sadie says, a child. Uh, it could also be 
It could also be a, a blob, a, a blobby grandma holding a blobby gopher. I think she manipulated the you Cheeto with like hardly. a yeah with a paper. Yeah, she was it filing look, right? it down yeah. a little bit. No, no, it's definitely a grandma. I promise. You, it's definitely it's a the, grandma. It's the image of a grandma in a Cheeto. Yeah, she has like a little bun. She has her little walker. I even put that she has a little bag that she's carrying for her grandkids okay. to carry her Cheetos. I don't want to critique. But it also could be it could be I could see it being a, a female figure uh, with a tumor, not a bun. Uh, there's carrying, no way you can interpret that. Carrying no way. a bag of coins. I thought it was a fire hydrant. Yeah, I did too. At first, yeah. I thought oh, that's a great fire hydrant. Fire hydrants have like two things sticking out, though. It's not a like fire one giant turned sideways. Well, to be honest, my first thought was, "Oh, Cheeto." Yes. Yeah. That, which, which. <laughs> by the way, that that sounds like it, that, that sounds like, like irrelevant. Yeah. But that is serious progress for Ben. Yeah. Because years ago, Ben would have looked at it and he said, "Orange thing," but now he's like. Cheeto. See, that concerns me because it was a flaming hot Cheeto, so maybe he's colorblind too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. He's, but as I just looked through the museum, a lot of these don't really look like what you say they look like. Right. And See, yours yours did-ish. See, the top one though, if you go to the Cheetos Museum and you look at the top one that has 250,000 likes, yeah. it's called The Thinker. Right. It doesn't even look anything close no. to a thinker to me. So maybe it's all relative. I don't know. No, yeah, I, but you're a bit biased. It's, yeah, you're right. You, okay, maybe I am. All right, I'll yeah. give it to you. But everybody, you might want to go check it out. How would they find yours? You know, I will post that on our Twitter page, yeah. Dr. Matt Show. And then go look at it and you tell us, is that a grandma or is that really, you know, a guy with a head... Blobus purplus that we learned about earlier in the show. Blobus redolus, since it's and red. Redolus and carrying a bag of food Cheetos. Balls. Or just a Cheeto. Or is it just a Cheeto? As ben you said. decide. But you decide. We'll pick. We deliver, you decide. Well, man, Sadie, thanks. Go check that out on at Dr. Matt Show. And you can also, I guess, vote for it by doing that. So we're going to get her easily into the top 500,000. Thank you in advance. Unless, of course, you don't think it looks like what she says it looks like, then don't vote for it. No, that's okay. You can still vote for it. Still vote for it. Yeah. It's, I think it's an A for effort. Well done, Sadie. We will take – oh, we can't take a break. It's time to be done. We're done. The weekend is over. I mean the weekend is beginning, but the week is over. Focus, Matt. Focus. No, I'm thinking this is sad. I was just having fun. Hey, uh, we got, we're going to end with a hero story as we like to. And the hero of the day is a waiter – in Washington, D.C. Listen to this. A waiter turned in his best Captain America impersonation Sunday when he sprinted to the aid of an elderly tourist being mugged in D.C. The waiter who works at the Dignitary Bar raced across the street and took on the mugger who had, been th- who had thrown the tourist to the ground and was wrestling him with a knife. Sporting not a cape, but his all-black work uniform, the waiter kicked the mugger in the chest and tried to wrestle the knife away from him as he pulled him off of the tourist. The mugger got away with the tourist's wallet but lost his knife. A diner sitting in the dignitary bar patio captured the whole thing on cell phone. This hero is a reclusive one, however. He doesn't want to be identified since the mugger is still out there. But hopefully not for long. 
Police in D.C. have the knife and took the waiter's shirt, hoping to get the DNA to help them identify the criminal. So that uh, that anonymous waiter in Washington, D.C., thank you for being the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Again, we do this show to give you just the ideas, the tools, the information, and, and sometimes the inspiration of the fact that there are good people in the world. And you don't always hear it on the news. You don't always see it in our political debates and in our uh, arguments that we might have around um, the country and in our lives. But you are part of the good. So remember that. We can't do the show without you. Join us every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time, right here on Sirius XM 143. Also, you can look us up on uh, on iTunes, on TuneIn. You can go to the BYURadio.org website and download all of our past shows. I'm telling you, folks, we've got the tools for you. You just got to come and pick them up. We'll be back again Monday.